Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. And sometimes movies that were on the list but have dropped off, but we're covering them anyway because why the hell not? I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm chatty, Darren. I'm chatty. I'm feel- feeling talkative. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to our discussion and... Um, I mean, the tete-a-tete is going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward to our, to our interlockers. Um, I'm looking think, forward yeah. to the... I think we're going to have a great exchange of ideas. Podcast! <laughs> <laughs> yes! We are talking about Martin Scorsese's 1974 The Conversation. What? We are going to have a... <laughs> What? I don't feel I don't feel like we built that up nearly enough. Um, <laughs> is everybody ready for a take two? I think we can do a take two. Um, <laughs> we are ready to have a conversation about the conversation. Ew. And joining us for this conversation, we have two fantastic guests who both been on the podcast recently. Uh, they you know them as the operators of the blog, the Sunday the host of the Sunday Presents podcast, and it's ironic because this is in fact a Saturday. The wonderful Kira Maloney and the fantastic Dean Buckley. How are you guys? How are things? Oh, doing fine. Uh, a bit sweaty from running around the shops, but other than that, no complaints. <laughs> My baby. Uh, I'm fine and and not sweaty, so. <laughs> the, the, the... You don't have to disclose that. We we want to make that clear. You don't. There's no obligation for anybody to follow Dean's. Dean. Uh, Dean left his baby at the shop in order to make it here. Sorry, his baby bell. Yeah, sorry. This was my, so, may have been a conversation that happened off mic. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. We are referencing things that may or may not have happened. But yes, we're talking about Martin Scorsese's 1974, The Conversation. We're talking about Francis okay. Ford Martin, Coppola. Martin Scorsese yes. did not have <laughs> any involvement, <laughs> to my knowledge. Now my, my, my is, head is... This bl- is another conversation we had off mic. <laughs> it is... It is Quite Catholicy. That yeah, might be the very Catholic-y. Of the, of the, the confusion. Confusion. Quite. <laughs> yes, we're talking about Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation, 1974. Um, and the reason for that is because we last three weeks we've covered the three Godfather movies. We're going to cover Apocalypse Now next week, and I figured I might sneak this one in under the radar, in large part because it is, according to Coppola, his favorite of his own films. Coppola believes this is the best film Whoa. that he has ever made. Because, yes. like, like the Godfather is fried. Uh, Dean liver. is wincing. It looks like Dean's wincing. I'm wincing for, at my own for... hair. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> better, he, it's he thinks it's better than Jack. <laughs> Jack never gets old. Youth before youth. Youth without youth. Yeah. He does get old. That's the tragedy. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's gonna die really soon. That the movie Benjamin has Button. aged yeah. badly. <laughs> Sorry. I don't. I don't think it was good at the time either. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> Um, <laughs> sorry. But, the, the, but uh, yes, that means he does rank it above tonight for sure. It does mean that he ranks it above Jack. But yes, like, controversial. Like you, you, I think you, you have either said or will say in the future that he treats all these movies as ex-wives, <laughs> that he doesn't want to talk about them, that he wants to talk about his current wife, who is yeah. his nineteen seventy four, the conversation. <laughs> Well, and again, it's it's worth noting, like, again, one that analogy of Coppola, and I love that Coppola kind of shakes it up, because, like, 
he's talked about how he doesn't like talking about the godfather because it's like his first wife and his new wife is sitting right there and like there's a moment in conversation uh where he's talking to um he's talking to marjorie rosen and it was asked like you know so you're having a hot moment right now you know you've got the conversation out you've got the godfather part two arriving in cinemas you know at christmas so like why don't you go back and why don't you revive some of the movies you made before the godfather why don't you try and get like the rain people revived because that is a movie that in the late 60s you know was arguably like a proto women's lib movie it was very much ahead of the times why don't you push to get that reopened in cinemas and coppola doesn't go with the direction of it's like an ex-wife instead he goes movies are like old girlfriends once you've done them and you're finished with them, you don't go back. The 70s, ladies and gentlemen. Six, six, the 70s. 60s movies are like old girlfriends. 70s movies are like old, old like first wives. And then I guess he updates <laughs> what it. What is Jack? To, yeah, what, yeah. Jack is, is his Jack third wife. <laughs> He'll never speak of. Um, I don't know. Um, and so we thought we kind of sneak this in because we covered the Godfather movies. We're going to cover Apocalypse Now. And Coppola had this tremendous run uh, in the 70s. Arguably, in those eight years, he made four consecutive masterpieces. The Godfather, The Conversation, Godfather Part Two, and Apocalypse Now. Um, and I reached out to, to Dean and Kira to guests on this podcast at relatively last minute. So thank you very much, guys, for making the time. I believe Dean had not seen the movie before I texted him and said, do you want to talk about the movie? <laughs> well, so, thank Dean you for- hasn't seen any movie. That's like his yeah. thing. Yeah, the he hasn't my, seen Apocalypse my, Now either. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there was years where Kira would make fun of me for not having seen Citizen Kane, and it, uh, and I would say every morning because of that I wake up and decide not to watch Citizen Kane the first thing. In the <laughs> um, Just on principle, and then the rest of the day, like you've already not seen <laughs> Citizen Kane. Yeah. Everything yeah, after that like, is is just downhill, like. You guys host a podcast where the premise is you each bring a movie that the other hasn't seen that you love. So it feels like Kira perhaps has an advantage there based on what we're hearing now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, Dean <laughs> Dean has seen uh, films, but they're all films that no one has ever heard of or cares about. <laughs> and I've seen like, you know, like classics. Yeah. So, so your favorite the... Francis Ford Coppola movie is like Youth Without Youth, then? Is it <laughs> no, because I haven't even seen Youth Without Youth. You know, like I haven't even. I've seen the Godfather trilogy. I've seen Jack, and now I've seen the conversation. <laughs> what? What? What a five some. What a top five. I thought you'd seen. I thought you'd seen Peggy Sue get married. Got married. Oh yeah, Peggy Sue got married. I keep forgetting about that one. It's great. Not because it's it's great. It's a great movie, but. I love um, Peggy Sue Got Married. Can we I just talk that... about Peggy Sue Got Married? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Like, Why not? We'll just keep extending the season. It'll be fine. <laughs> people who don't understand what Nicolas Cage is doing. like um, I feel like he's fairly clear about what he's doing. Yeah. And either yeah, you appreciate it or you don't. <laughs> like, But the um, people feel like it, it, it's a bad performance. Yeah, it's just like I... a, a choice. Yeah, I'm a Vampire's Kiss fanatic, so you don't need to sell me on this on this point of view. A B. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay. So, having broached the topic with Dean, then gonna move on to Kira actually, because I think one of the reasons I reached out was because I think Kira mentioned you'd seen one from the heart relatively recently. Yes, which is the movie that Coppola followed Apocalypse Now with his 1982 uh, musical 
movie. And I think you had a very strong reaction Musical to Musical in quotation marks. Yes. Um, it's, it's uh, I, I, love one, I love one from the heart so much. Um, it's, uh, it like reinvented cinema and should be the most important film of all time and everyone talks about it all the time. But unfortunately, it uh, suffered from the old, uh, this film was expensive, so we're going to give it a bad review thing that was big in the 80s. <laughs> that like Heaven's Gate and Ishtar, which are also masterpieces. Um, New, York, New York, New York, another New movie York. musical. Um, 1941 from, from Spielberg. Slopes. Like again, yeah, the movie yeah. Bratz Humblings, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so me and a friend of mine, uh, during the pandemic, we started uh, every, every month we do like these like film seasons of our own design. And we did Hackmanuary for January. And yes. then we did nice. February Ford Coppola for, or Francis Ford February, the jury's out on how to say it, <laughs> for February. <laughs> and so the conversation was like the, the transition. So, and I had never seen it before. And then like a week later, Darren was like, do you want to talk about the conversation? And I was like, do I? <laughs> so do I you do. start... keep listeners in suspense Um, (laughs) do you start watching the conversation then at like 11 o'clock on the 31st on like January 31st um, no I I didn't I didn't didn't, we didn't we didn't time it like that unfortunately but (laughs) you know nevertheless I mean it's it's not as hot a ticket as December 31st (laughs) 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 if every if you were like calling in the new year with like um... the conversation what a choice that would be although we will come back to the question of is this a christmas movie Um, (laughs) i have of course i have very strong opinions about that we have to ask that every week we we do i mean it wasn't very exciting when we asked about the godfather part three but i think this week (laughs) this week will be a meaty kind of discussion um but before we kind of jump into the conversation itself um so Dean, as somebody whose experience with Francis Ford Coppola amounts to the Godfather trilogy, uh, Jack, and now the conversation, where where do you stand you on uh, Kodak? And Peggy Sue got married. Jack. And Pe- <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and Peggy Sue got married. That's right. And Peggy Sue got married. What is like with that eclectic mix? Do you have any like what is what is your read on Francis Ford Coppola? Greatest American director. Or guy who directed bad Robin Williams movie, or one in the same. Uh, he in the seventies he was uh, the greatest American director, and in the eighties he made Peggy Sue got married. In the nineties he made Jack. That's my that's my take on Coppola based on my experience. The arc. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's like I, a decade I, behind Zemeckis. Yeah, in terms of lag, yes, um, and. Kira, like I, as we're recording this, you are you are very much in in the middle of um, Francis Ford TBC. Um, <laughs> how how is that going for you? And kind of what is your re- are you going through the films chronologically? Um, are you no? It, like, it's just the just best, on or? on on vibes. So like we watch Peggy Sue Got Married on like a Saturday afternoon because that seemed like the time to watch it. Um, the Rain People is really good. Uh, Dementia 13 is set in Ireland for some reason. So, oh, because it was cheap oh. to film there, I believe. Yeah. It was on an Aer Lingus plane. It's, it's very strange. I don't know. I don't, it, I assume, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know. Dementia 13, for people who don't know, <laughs> is Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Roger Corman slasher movie, right? If I remember correctly? Yeah. Psychological yeah. horror movie. Basically. Yeah. It's... Like, what, what, you what don't happened? have to have seen the first 12 dimensions. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> what happened to the directors of the first one? Yes. The, uh... <laughs> Good job. Um, the, uh, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is good. And um, even though Keanu Reeves' accent is bad. But I think Keanu Reeves' accent being bad uh, helpfully distracts from how bad Winona Ryder's accent is. Because it's not quite as bad. <laughs> Um, so yeah, ever the gentleman Keanu Reeves, <laughs> ever the ally. That's interesting for me to hear because uh, I I don't have the structure in my life to do the seasons that that, that Kira does, but I I do have a folder of films called Keanu Believe It, and uh, <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula is coming up soon, so that's, that's I'm, I'll believe I'm it always when excited I see by it. a by a bad accent. Um, all right, but do you have like so? What is do you have a like a Francis Ford Coppola? take like a broad overview of of him as a filmmaker at this point have you got have you, do you feel uh, like you've gotten some insight into him or is it just a bunch of films yeah he's he's great he's you know he's he had he had the greatest 1970s of all time and uh and he gave birth to Sofia Coppola so that's I mean he didn't give birth to her but it's, it's still props and uh do, 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 do. Rumblefish is really good. The Outsider is really good. He's good. He's good. Yeah. During the 70s, he was like, I'm the greatest. And then in the 80s, he was like, I'm I'm still the greatest, but I'm like weird now. <laughs> and then in the 90s, he was like, the, I'm finished. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I mean, you know, he broke, broke the glass for emergencies on Godfather 3. And then, yeah. and then, who knows? I don't know. Maybe he he owns a vineyard. Oh my god! I apologize. Oh no, where is it all? That was the Godfather tree and um, <laughs> glass getting broken. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. Um, all right, so Kira here has muted herself. She, we should note she is not evacuating the building in case of fire alarm. <laughs> this is more important than saving yourself this is, from death. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody wants a big fat recording, am I right? That's that's all anybody wants exactly, right now. Exactly. Um, all right. So, Andrew, what about yourself? Had you seen the conversation before um, we before I, I text you and said we're covering the conversation on Thursday? I had not seen the conversation before you texted me to say that we'd be covering the conversation on Saturday, <laughs> which is when we're, <laughs> we're, we're which is the only place we exist. Yes. In a liminal space at about noon on Saturday for between one hour and fifty minutes and, and, and every three point hours into and eight the minutes as well yeah. for eternity. <laughs> like whatever time forward. you listen to this in the future, we are also with you. Um, but it was definitely yeah, not last Thursday. <laughs> Rigorous <laughs> uh, schedule, constantly having to get live every time somebody opens up SoundCloud. Presses play. Yeah, I mean that, exactly. that's what I mean. People. People, if people think we have an underwhelming episode, it's just because we've talked about the conversation at this point for like 1,478 times. I'm sorry, listener. Um, <laughs> you should have been there at you know noon and just hit play. Um, but sorry, Andrew. No, no. The, 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 I, I, I think that was um, the extent of my answer. <laughs> that, okay. No, I had not seen it. I watched it um, at um, five o'clock and, and we st started recording 
um, about seven o'clock. So you were you were literally fresh. You were you were as fresh as it's possible to be. That's a daisy. Yeah. All right. Um, Pressure's off for me. I watched it last night. I've I've got such a head start. <laughs> <laughs> Dean's been processing this um, at this I, stage. I feel like I should have clarified. Not that anybody cares, but. Do I mean to say that he was a decade ahead or uh, of Zemeckis? Um, as in, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's fair. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think like Coppola's experimentation is more traditional than Zemeckis's. Zemeckis is like, I am bringing you the future whether you want it or not. Coppola's <laughs> like, hey, they made movies in the 30s in ways that were cool. Let's do that again. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, kind of, I, I suppose can see all I meant was kind of like in the progression of like good to bad quality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think you were making a more profound argument about their filmmaking techniques, Andrew, and I'm not going to I'm not going to be corrected on that point. Um, all right, then. So before we jump into the spoiler zone, three questions then to get us started. So, Dean. Do you think The Conversation belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Maybe no, but only because 250 is a pretty tight. Like, it seems it seems like a big number, but there's, like, so too many films. So <laughs> if it's not getting in, it's only because, you know, The Godfather and The Godfather 2 are already taking space. And I, I don't like to have one director have too many films on any of those lists. Gotta be... Gotta just say, you know, I'm not gonna put... 15 Martin Scorsese films on this list. You, you got to leave room. Cowards. So <laughs> I mean, but 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 then our Summer of Scorsese would have been like a two-week season instead of like one that lasted into like late winter. <laughs> it's a very directory list and it's a very kind of um, a certain kind of film. Yeah, directory. Uh, uh, kind of nerd list, I guess. Like, like as, as in, of course... Um, Spielberg should have more fans on on the IMDb 250. Um, You're so bitter that Jaws isn't on the list. It's crazy. That's, that's... It is crazy. It makes no sense. <laughs> like, if it's that insane. was a Christopher Nolan movie, um, <laughs> it, like, it, it, it just... It, if it had been a Kurosawa yeah, or a Hitchcock a movie or, or a Kubrick movie. Yeah, nobody would have let that go. Like... <laughs> Um, the people would have been fighting tooth and nail to 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 like have Shark it have it have it be number one um, on on the list. Whatever about disappearing off the list altogether. Um, it, 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 like um, it, Dawson from Dawson's Creek. James um, Vanderbeek. James Vanderbeek. Or do you mean um, the character of Dawson? I mean the character. His, oh yeah, his favorite director is Spielberg. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, which I always uh, watched that show and I thought, like, what a vanilla choice of <laughs> um, favorite filmmaker. Like, he is not going to get the girl. Um, but uh, anyway, where was where was Dawson when um, when Jaws was was leaving the list? He was he was making Dawson's Creek. He was crying that's, into a lake. That's what happens in he, the finale. He, he, he makes Dawson's he took Creek. His eye off, he took his eye off the ball and then just kind of, yeah. You know, then one day it was gone. You know, this is all James Vanderbeek's fault, is what I'm getting at. If That's you're wondering what James Vanderbeek was doing when there was a shark in the lake, in the creek. <laughs> if you're wondering what James Vanderbeek was doing when it dropped off the list, incidentally, quite possibly making the show "What Would Diplo Do," which is a show <laughs> that exists where James Vanderbeek plays Diplo. Wow! For some reason, 
I, 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 I know. We should wait till the recommendation section, but I feel like that's something I want to see. Oh, well, I've not watched it. Are you insane? It's called What Would Diplo Do? Why would I watch that? I like Diplo. But how will you know what Diplo is supposed to do? <laughs> I, I like Diplo because he sold me a phone once and it was the best phone I ever had. He used to do these ads for Blackberry torches. <laughs> um, I thought Diplo seemed like he knew what he was doing. And okay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we are normally talking about Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation here. Um, it's just a conversation. It, it is have a loose conversation. I'm woe betide to bring us back slowly <laughs> towards that point. But Dean, sorry. So your suggestion was that, yeah, that Coppola already has The Godfather, Godfather 2 and Apocalypse Now. That's, you know, maybe one or two films too many is what I'm getting from this. Well, I haven't seen Apocalypse Now, so I can't judge. I'm not, gonna, I'm not like a strict three only three guy like when i do my lists you know i do get let scorsese have like five or something but <laughs> dean are you still committed to uh as i recall some sort of backwards chronology adaptations of heart of darkness thing yes yes so i've i've played the video game spec offs the line which is based on heart of darkness then i'm gonna watch apocalypse now and then i'm gonna read heart of darkness <laughs> um <laughs> to get the full experience, you need to watch Heart of Darkness final. Sorry, you need to watch Apocalypse Now final cut. Then you need to watch Apocalypse Now Redux. <laughs> then you need to watch Apocalypse Now. Then you read Heart of Darkness. That's fair. I did technically uh, do do an exam on, on Heart of Darkness in college, but that didn't require reading the book. <laughs> Nobody reads books I in love- college. That is Those true. Are the best exams. I remember that being um, explained to me that like you don't really read. The, the books, you kind of separate the wheat from the chaff and feeling kind of disappointed that what I went to college to do, I wasn't really doing. And because I'm a very lazy person, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I just went along with it. Um, yeah. Again, a theme that maybe we may talk about later. Um, that was your Harry Call moment, sitting there holding books, staring at books. Reading <laughs> Candide and I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a very good book. But I don't have time to appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Kira, do you think that the conversation belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously. Clearly one of the best (laughs) films ever made. Um, Like Dean, somewhere in my brain, I have a reticence about putting too many films by the same director on a list. And... So there's like a little a little worry in the back of my mind going, oh, can I put this and The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 and Apocalypse Now and Rumblefish? But, you know, but then I just get over it and I'd put conversation on the list and Rumblefish. Oh. And I was about to say one from the heart. Yeah. Rumblefish or one from, oh, as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. Is it, I mean, you know, that seems like enough. Maybe the maybe, maybe rain people <laughs> do. you do have that. a cutoff? <laughs> <laughs> is there is there a number? Like the, yeah, the, 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 is there a ceiling that kind of Coppola hits? Like, is like as in it's like, or does he just get like? You do you can, get to Jack and you go? Maybe this can stay off the list. Yeah, I wouldn't put say Jack like, on the list. You can have this many Coen Brothers movie, but you all, you also have to have this many. Um, uh, oh, just the balance movies. Yeah, yeah. say. <laughs> so like an as airplane. Long, as long as I you can have, put the Hoodsucker proxy on, that's the main thing. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, I, like the thing with the Coen brothers is there's two of them, so you can double up on your quotas. That's true. That's, that's the clever. Yeah, that's that's ingenious. Um, Andrew, fresh from the movie, hottest possible take. Do you think the conversation 
which you literally just finished watching maybe about half an hour ago, is one of the 250 best movies ever made. I do, and it is. <laughs> so, like, I like your you confidence. Know, stop, like, for, uh, you know, if anyone is listening to, to this, um, tr- 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 trust Kira. It belongs to be on the list. <laughs> Vote for it on the IMDb 15. Bring it back. Bring it back. Because uh, it did. It only dropped off in 2010. Um, and again, <laughs> Coppola has... <laughs> There's, it's still time to turn this around. Dude, you um... laugh, here, but that really doesn't feel like a long time for Darren and I. <laughs> <laughs> we could still change things. We could still make right, set right what once went wrong. Um, yeah. And... And for myself, uh, probably a yes. I think Coppola's for like from two thousand and ten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't be afraid to send that text message. You never know what might happen. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think definitely yes. I think Coppola's four films from the seventies really belong on the list. I think that they each say something very interesting and distinct about the decade, which is obviously. A usually important decade in terms of American cinema, a usually important decade in terms of America. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, put it on the list. Wholeheartedly uh, recommend that. So Dean, would it be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? It's hard to say when I only watched it yesterday and it hasn't had that much time to marinate, but I have a feeling it's going to end up there. So I'll say yeah. I like the inevitability. I like the acceptance <laughs> of it. The grim inevitability of Martin Scorsese's The Conversation. No, you Once again, Lord Coppola. Chris says he has nothing to do with oh, the film. This is going oh, swimming. <laughs> this is going swimming. Dean, your your role, like because you started and you said that it it, it does it shouldn't be on the two fifty, and that it's hardly a movie. Um, <laughs> you, you you have to be the one who like brings some conflict to this and says it doesn't belong on the 250 it doesn't belong on my 250 um sorry <laughs> Kira would it be on your own personal 250 uh yeah definitely loved it no question boom perfect um and Andrew would it be on your own personal 250? Why Why you got to ask so many questions, Darren? <laughs> um, no, no. Um, it would. It would. You don't want to be involved with this movie. <laughs> yeah. I want to be. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going not to try a Gene Hackman. I feel like it's probably something that it's handy enough to do. Um, but, but if this is the first time I do it... <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah. You might want to practice. You want to com- like off air. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want to commit yeah. to the recording. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. Um, no, don't worry. We'll the, fix it in post. The, yeah, the wonders of editing makes it sound like it was just off the cuff. Yeah. But no, yeah, I do. I do. I like- never said Martin Scorsese's the conversation. <laughs> the grim inevitability of Martin Scorsese's the conversation. The grim inevitability of Francis Scorsese's The Conversation. The inevitability of Francis Ford Scorsese's The Conversation. The grim inevitability of Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation. <laughs> but no, yeah, I do, I do. Like it, it's it's great. I loved it. Um, it's um, it ticks the boxes. 
because it's um it's a very profound movie it's a very sad movie it's funny in parts but not very <laughs> um, uh, but it it's 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 terrific um it, it 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 reminded me of one of my favorite kind of uh movies it's also on the list um that that will that we'll kind of talk about a bit later okay I'm now Darren's now like noting down and I have I have a guess which one it is. I'd say you'd uh, probably blah <laughs> probably be right. Um uh, uh, but, Is it Martin Scorsese's The Conversation? <laughs> it's yeah, it's uh Scorsese felt that this movie didn't really get the audience it deserved on initial release and decided to have his own go at it. <laughs> and um, <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> and kind of remade and revamped. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which it, which is it was kind of it was one for him, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we talk about his Cape Fear remake. We don't talk about it. No, nobody's seen it. Um, <laughs> no. And in fact, some people might say that it doesn't even exist. Um, those people would be right. Um, but what yes, yourself, um, Darren. For myself, yes. Um, on this your own is list. one of, despite my constant brain farts that are happening because we talked about a certain other director off mic before we talked about this movie and he's also very very catholic the conversation is one of my one of my favorite movies ever i have a tremendous soft spot for it i find myself intensely moved by it it's one of those films that i discovered when i was like discovering film in inverted commas and it again encapsulates so much of what i love about cinema i you know i am a huge uh for my sins uh, very much kind of like a 70s American cinema film bro. So this is like right up my proverbial alley. Um, I think it's profound. I think it's incredibly moving. I think it says something about the era in which it's made. I think it says something more broadly about the human condition. Uh, I think it's a superbly made film featuring a mesmerizing central performance, uh, a clever script, and it tackles all of the stuff that I really, really like seeing in movies. Like, you know, Catholic guilt and shame and <laughs> suffering and loneliness and sadness and all these great emotions that I just love seeing tackled on screen. So it's like, it is a feel good movie. I think it's, it just makes me feel great when yeah, I watch it. it, it's, <laughs> it it's a kind of, it's a bit of escapism for you because yeah. all you have in your life is joy and togetherness. <laughs> and you want to kind of like see kind of how, how, how do other people live? Um, yeah. Uh, but no, I I do. I find it like again, it probably down to the fact that I watched it as a teenager who was maybe a bit less socially adjusted and a bit right. socially awkward. Um, I love that Andrew's like nodding along. Yeah, no yeah. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> that no. you were cool and with it, Darren, all along. Incredibly socially able and adept. I'm um, embarrassed that it took me longer than uh, than it should have to realize that you were a cool dude. Um, that, thank you, Andrew. I was this still is not friends me feel with better. you in spite of <laughs> thinking that you were very uncool. Um, I am very uncool. But you're very I think that... cool, Darren. I was wrong. You have a podcast. I mean, my mom, my mom does say I'm cool. Um, I mean, and she's never wrong. Um, but no, I, I do think that, like, my again, watching this... likes you too. <laughs> like proper fancies here. <laughs> This is not. This is a very strange conversation to be having about the conversation. 
That is not the first time somebody has told me that. Uh, I don't know. It, About Andrew's make... mother or, or just mothers in general? Apparently I'm mothers and fathers' okay. favorites. Um, so yeah, it's not just it's loads bit... of people going around saying that Andrew's mother fancies you. Andrew's, Andrew's yeah. mom and Darren. Yeah, no, yeah, okay. no, um, no. Just checking. I, I am told that apparently, yeah, apparently I am, I am parents, parents like me, which is slightly an unsettling thing to hear when you're a teenager and are like, yeah, but I'm badass and I'm rebelling and I'm hip and with it. And it's like, no, my mom thinks you're cool. And I'm yeah. like, damn it. Not only, well, your mom is not cool. Only She's does, got great taste. Not only does his own parents love him, <laughs> but everybody else is too. <laughs> Which is exactly what you want when you were a 12-year-old kid. Um, all right. And so, Dean, if listeners have not seen the conversation, um, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Absolutely. Get on it. And Kira, what about yourself? Uh, yeah. Yeah, do it. It's good. You'll like it. And uh, and it's got like an actual plot, which can be spoiled. So, you know, bear that in mind. Yes. <laughs> and Andrew, if listeners have not seen the conversation, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? I would. I would recommend that people um, stop and watch it. I'm sure if you have qualms about giving money to like... Um, Rupert Murdoch, that there's ways of buying it on DVD? Or is it just a Fox picture as well? Actually, he doesn't no, own Fox Paramount. anymore. It's, it's Paramount. Yeah, it's Paramount. It's Paramount. Okay. Um, yeah, but the, 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 way, the, way, the way that I was able to watch it um, was on Now TV. Which I think yeah, is and, like a, and Sky, which have yeah, a lot of Paramount in their library. Yeah. That yeah. is Murdoch, yeah. Um, but you can buy it on DVD. You can you buy can. it on Blu-ray. It is readily available as well. Um, and it's, it's a movie that coppola hasn't really tinkered with again which is is interesting because obviously he's gone back he's re-edited the godfather godfather part two into a miniseries he's edited the godfather part three into coda he's cut apocalypse now like two or two more times afterwards but he hasn't touched the the conversation the version of the conversation that you watch today is the version that was released in cinemas in 1974 so i i forgot about him re-editing apocalypse now a million times and i thought you meant like going back and putting cgi in it like george lucas and steven spielberg <laughs> and i was like that would have been bizarre what would you even cgi <laughs> more helicopters more <laughs> napalm george lucas the uh, digitally removes and recasts ex-girlfriends <laughs> um but yes, and, and I would wholeheartedly recommend it. I think it's fantastic. It's under two hours long. It's it's an amazing film, a wonderful snapshot in time, beautifully atmospheric, superbly made, uh, and just absolutely adored. So yes, with that in mind, then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone! So Kira, what is the conversation about for you? Uh, the conversation is about loneliness, and jazz, and Watergate, and the importance of vocal inflection. That is all very true. <laughs> he, he'd kill us if he had a chance. He'd kill us if he had a chance. <laughs> totally different. That's, totally different meaning. Should've... He'd kill us if he had the chance. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'd kill us if he had the chance. He'd kill us if he had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> he'd kill us? As Nixon would say, um, suck it to me. Um, uh, what, what should we call it? It's so true that the 
I used to do kind of door to door sales and they would do this whole thing about like the 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 power of like tone of voice and inflection and all that sort of thing. And they do that very thing. They they uh, say a sentence change the and, and cha- change the accent on, on I- each word. And they wouldn't get you to like watch the conversations part of your training or something. No, no that's what they should have done. <laughs> they, they should have shown the entire conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love, by the way, the implication that this is like Mark and Anne's fault for putting the emphasis on the wrong word <laughs> as opposed to Harry for not hearing it. <laughs> like, I, 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 I kind of get the sense that like it's, it's more Harry who kind of screws up here rather than Mark and Anne when they're plotting their murder. I feel like it's maybe the, the kind of the listener rather than the the guy speaking. There were drums, um, there were... steel drums, and remixes, and and all this sort of stuff. I mean, again, like when you mentioned like Watergate and the fact that this was released at the the height of kind of Watergate fever, the fact that you had like the the fact that most of the equipment that's used in the movie was the same equipment yeah. that the the plumbers famously <laughs> used as well, which is yeah, an amazing yeah. bit of synchronicity. Well, I was just going to say, like, I know that it's not literally about Watergate because it was made before like i think coppola wrote the script in like the 60s but it's it it's still about watergate you know like um and it's so much a part of that whole 70s paranoid conspiracy thriller thing that's very tied to watergate and all that yeah, I mean, Coppola kind of, yeah, he came up with the concept, I believe, in the mid-60s, talking with Irvin Kirshner, the guy who go on, obviously, to direct, among many other things, um, The Empire Strikes Back. Robocop 2! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Obligatory <laughs> Robocop reference. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, I set you up there. Um, but apparently he'd been writing the script, like, again, since the mid-60s, his first draft, I think, around 67, 69. After, after he saw Blow Up. Yes, the, the Antolini film as well. And, I mean, it, it's worth noting that this is one of the, again, to tie the grand theory of Francis Ford Coppola together. This is one of the movies that was at the center of the lawsuit that Warner Brothers had over American Zotrope in 1972 that forced Coppola to make The Godfather. Because apparently Warner Brothers had given him a bunch of money and he'd provided them a bunch of scripts and they were like, one of them was The Conversation. And Warner Brothers was like, what the hell do you think this script is? This isn't how we make movies in 1969. Uh, We're going to sue you in federal court. Um, and apparently that forced Coppola to take the job to make The Godfather. After he made The Godfather, Paramount were like, what other scripts you got? And he's like, well, I'd like to make, I don't know why Paramount sound like uh, some sort of like New York City street vendor circa 1980. But it's like, you know, what other scripts you got and what will it take to convince you to make The Godfather Part 2? And Coppola says, well, I'd love to make The Conversation. And they say, okay, you can make The Conversation, but you need to have Godfather Part 2 in cinemas by the end of 1974, which leads to a phenomenal accomplishment where Coppola releases The Conversation, which wins the Palm Door in 1974, then scrambles madly, goes into an editing frenzy, and releases The Godfather Part Two in December 1974, which wins the Best Picture Oscar the following year, competing against The Conversation. And actually, I guess this is a question then for, like, Dean and, and Kira. Like, 1974, is it the best year in the history of cinema? Like, is there an argument to be made more than, say, 1939 or 1999? <laughs> yeah. Okay, wheel out the Summer of 99 machine. I'll see if I can reconfigure it. Hold on. Okay, here goes nothing. It's April 7th, 1974. 
marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. I'm using Uncle Ben's stuff and such. It can't be that delicious. It is, because Uncle Ben's makes it with the same delicious ingredients I used. Come on, you need me. No, I don't. And I can serve stuff and such as a side dish with everything. Even chicken? Even chicken. They may reach different interpretations, but I know what I meant, and I know also what I did. There is no evidence of a conspiracy. What sort of an indication? What sort of a hint do you have? Well, I don't like to. I don't like to respond to that because uh, no matter how I respond, it would be a, a dead giveaway as to where I the, the source of my information. But uh, my source is responsible. Can you? You do your job, and sometimes you find the answers to questions that should never be asked. Or you find out what happens to people who ask them. Hold it there, kitty cat. Earlier this week, the United States was devastated by a tornado outbreak that struck central parts of the continent. The Swedish group ABBA won the Eurovision Song Contest with their song Waterloo. And tomorrow night, Hank Aaron will become the all-time MLB home run leader with his 715th home run what was it? at Atlanta in front of a national televised a audience. Young Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we 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 would we would often do like a a. a we did a season of ninety nine. We did a summer of ninety nine. Um, and I did a bunch of like what was happening in culture as each of these landmark movies were released. It's always a WWE Andrew thought, thing. Andrew thought it was hilarious that I would occasionally mention what was happening in the world of wrestling. Um, and no, Andrew, I do not know. I do not know what was happening in the world. Of professional Giant wrestling haystacks. in in May nineteen seventy. Some some seventies uh, kind of r- r- rowdy 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 Piper. rowdy rowdy Piper. Yeah. Um, so, Kira, what was happening in professional wrestling in nineteen seventy four? But like- um, yeah, I I don't really know. Uh, I'm would know more about what was happening in the eighties or the nineties or any subsequent decade. Really, the seventies is before. It all got very um, monopolized. Right. So it was a lot more regional based, I would imagine. All I know about what was happening in the 70s was that was when they just like let Bruno Sammartino have the world heavyweight champion for like a championship for like the whole decade. They just were like, nah. <laughs> Nowadays, the, a title changes hands at the drop of a hat. They, they just let that one guy have the world championship for the whole decade, more or so less. So what you're saying is that the 70s were a very stagnant period for American <laughs> professional wrestling. But were they for American cinema? No. Um, no. To bring us back. Yeah, this is, this is, <laughs> that was a nice segue. I'm very proud of that one. Was this um, Mr. T's time? Was he, he was okay. he, he's the 70s wrestler who made friends with Nancy Reagan. <laughs> the, the throat goat. Sorry. Rocky Three uh, is really good. I feel like it's underrated in the Rocky series. In the Rocky franchise. Um, but it's really good. It's not as good as Rocky Four. It's not as good as Rocky Two. But it's good. It's better than Rocky Five. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I haven't watched Rocky Five in a long time, but Okay. That's the street fighting one, right? <laughs> With uh Mason the Lion Dixon. 
<laughs> no, that's Rocky. Balboa. Oh, you're right. You're um, right. You're right. It's Tommy the Machine Gun. The- Tommy the Machine Gun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Stallone's okay. great at so name. To... <laughs> he, really, he really is. Um, so to bring us back to the conversation about the conversation, is there an argument to be made for like 1974 as like a defining year in American cinema as the best year between like The Godfather Part Two, The Conversation, Blazing Saddles, uh, Young Frankenstein, The Parallax View, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, oh yeah, no, phenomenal. Year. I feel Blazing like um, and Chinatown. Young yeah, again, another two. For... <laughs> Sorry, Kira. I feel like. You could pick any year in the seventies and do that, though. Yeah. Like, didn't the very like, was it the following year that Taxi Driver and uh, Network and Rocky all came out? Or am I crazy? I think that was seventy six. Well, whenever it was. Yeah. The 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 that point the, the point remains. Jaws is nineteen seventy five though. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh. Okay, One of but... the two hundred and fifty best films ever made. regardless of of what the list actually says (laughs) Um, the list is wrong (laughs) (laughs) we can fix the list and then stop uh, voting yeah and just freeze it at the moment in time (laughs) yeah take over the courts (laughs) yeah sorry stack the courts stack the 250 courts um Okay, and then, like, in terms of, of kind of the conversation, because, again, the conversation is this movie that Coppola makes, again, while rushing to make The Godfather Part Two. There's something interesting about its production and its history that I think kind of merits discussion, particularly because we're talking about this in the context of, like, a season of Coppola films. We're talking Coppola for five weeks in a row. This is the fourth of five films we'll be covering. And tendency to put Coppola, like so many of the movie rats up there, as, like, the icon of auteur theory. The idea that, you know, these were the first generation of movie directors who came up as film students who loved cinema history and who kind of defined themselves as filmmakers primarily with their own brands and identities. And what's interesting about the conversation is that you could argue that it's not necessarily entirely Coppola's film. In particular, it's a movie that was edited by Walter Murch, who uh, we mentioned on the Godfather episode, did a lot of the sound design there and kind of segued into picture editing as well. And basically, because Coppola was under the deadlines that he was to make The Godfather Part 2, because he had to leave as soon as he finished shooting all the footage and go off and start filming The Godfather Part 2 in place like the Dominican Republic, he basically turned the movie over to Walter Murch and was like, you've got the footage, you deal with this. You make this a kind of a coherent movie and I will check in with you once a month and I'll give you notes and feedback, but you're the one who's going to be splicing the footage and the sound together on this project. It's kind of interesting that we we think of this as a Coppola film, but is there an argument that Murch is maybe as much an author of the movie as Coppola was? Well, I, I I'm a big uh, no. There are no single authors. The author's dead, and there there's not only one of them at the same time. That's my so so. I'm I'm absolutely happy to say a Murch Coppola. Murch co-production. Coppola, co-production. Yeah. I I like to think of it as a Scorsese film. <laughs> as do i apparently um, but no because I, 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 I do think that's an interesting thing because it, it's very much an illustration of the point being made which is that like movies are not the work of single authors they're the work of collaboration and 
Coppola famously like would allow his departments a lot of leeway. He'd encourage people to bring their own ideas. And again, when we talked about The Godfather, there's the debate about who is the author of The Godfather. Is it Coppola? Is it Robert Evans? Is it Al Ruddy? I mean, you know, if you listen to most film theorists and like the film itself, it's Coppola. If you listen to Robert Evans, it's Robert Evans. I mean, who's really to well, say? Well, he would say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who's really to say when you weigh up these, these options? Um, who really does have authority there? But I, I kind of do find it interesting that you have the movie and that the extent to which the movie is maybe about that in that there's an argument that the conversation is a movie about the importance of editing and in particular the importance of sound editing and the idea of stitching a narrative together from its constituent elements in a way that perhaps might have resonated with merch as a as a sound editor and then a picture editor and again as somebody pointed out the the argument that you have the director in this movie like this is a movie about a sound editor going to the director (laughs) and presenting them with a finished narrative spliced together from all the material that they were given and again the fact that it's a metaphor for filmmaking because it's slot together from three different sources there's no one single take of the conversation he instead has to splice it together from you know the the sniper sound system that they have on the roof uh the recording device that he plants on the guy the the um the recording device in the chocolate box or in the bag um, as well. And again, this idea that it's it's maybe in some ways a metaphor for, and I know Andrew loves this, it's a film that is in some ways a metaphor for movie making. Um, is that fair to say? It's movies, movies about making movies because people who make movies only know about making movies. <laughs> you gotta you gotta write what you know. That, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's it. Like, but like, is that fair to say, uh, Dean or Kira? Is that is that a like is that a major reading of the film? Does that make sense to look at it through that lens? Yeah, definitely. Like I didn't even, I didn't read anything about the conversation before I watched it, so I didn't know about um, how much of uh, how much of the editing was done by Merch without without much supervision. But even then, I was you know thinking that the whole time. Uh, for some reason, it never occurred to me that the guy, the guy being called the director, was significant. <laughs> I don't know how that. It is literally a movie about the death of the director. Like it's literally about the death of the author. It's the death of the director. Um. I, 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 I didn't get that at all. But that 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 um, he's not afraid of death. He's afraid of murder. But that that feels like he will be complicit in what the director does. Um, in this murder that the director is plotting, but then finds that it's the it's the director, who's, I mean, what is it? I I I I I'd say maybe if you pull on that thread, you you maybe don't get very far, or maybe you do. <laughs> well, and um, I mean, I mean, it is worth noting that as we pointed out, this movie directly follows The Godfather, in which the editor attempted to organize a coup to depose Coppola, the director. <laughs> so I fe- again, I feel like you can pull that thread and it does lead to places that are maybe coincidental, but are also like kind of weirdly symbolically relevant. Like Coppola, yeah. Coppola had to fire the editor on The Godfather because he was plotting a coup to replace him uh, with the studio. Um, so I feel like maybe, I mean, he would fire us if he had the chance. <laughs> um, but okay, and I, I guess then, like the the thing that I want to like when we talk about this as a movie about movie making, and I will talk about the other stuff that is probably more interesting uh, in a moment. <laughs> um, the the stuff that's actually engaging Andrew and stuff like that. But I do think no, no, no. I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm don't don't feel like we're kind of. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to 
uh, we in your um, cornflakes. Um, you did like we 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 can we can absolutely talk about this. Well, I mean, this is a movie about the idea of moral responsibility and the idea that of putting something out into the world and what happens as a result of you doing your job and creating something, stitching something together. And I find that interesting in the context of like The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2, where Coppola has talked quite frankly about how when he made The Godfather, he was horrified that he went to cinemas and people were cheering at the end of it, that Mm. people were rooting for Michael and that they saw Michael as this heroic figure who had done this amazing thing. And how so much of The Godfather Part 2 is Coppola kind of scolding the audience for cheering Michael on. And the idea that they took the wrong message from what he made. And when you look at the conversation, which is about somebody literally taking the wrong message from a piece of media in front of them. I do wonder, is like, does, is there something there with Coppola grappling with the audience relationship and the the director's relationship, the artist's relationship? I think it's a, it's a recurring theme, I guess, with, with, with Coppola. Because when, when, when Coppola did um, Goodfellas, he felt that people really like kind of grabbed onto it, and he made Casino to try and kind of set the record straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. These people are not good people. Yeah, with the Irishman, he finally responded to Scorsese's Godfather too. I mean, that that's, that's really kind of. I think finally, it's great that we got a Coppola movie. I think it's great that Netflix gave Coppola two hundred million dollars, like with his winery. Um, and I feel really bad that Scorsese it's, had to sell his film preservation to, to make um, Megatropolis. Um, Scorsese. I, I really, are, I really, and... this is very inside baseball. I feel like this has become the other. <laughs> Scorsese and Coppola will never go after us for this because to them, all Irish podcasters are the same. Yeah, so that, I, that, that exchange is either very inside baseball. You either get it or you're wondering what the hell are they talking about. But sorry, Kira, Dean, uh, just throwing that out there. Uh, I think that's, I mean, it's interesting in like a, oh, yeah, sort of way. Um, but I think there's a lot more going on in the film that seems more, I don't know. I mean, if Coppola was worried about people liking The Godfather for the wrong reasons, I'd get over it. I agree. Don't worry about it, dude. Firstly, this isn't a real problem. And secondly, who cares? Yeah, it feels yeah. more personal <laughs> than professional. Like, which, which which you could argue is a kind of a, a theme of the movie itself. Um, yeah. That, that, that it's not about what he does for a living. It's about who he is as a person. Yeah. And kind of the, the like, we, we confuse those things because we say, like... Um, you know what? What do you do? It's often kind of like one of the first questions like a person gets asked. Yeah, well, I mean, he's talked about this as his most personal movie. The character of Harry Cole, he's described as basically him. Like the autobiographical account that Harry gives of like having polio as a child and mm. being largely paralyzed. That comes from Coppola's own childhood, for example. The Catholicism, Harry's Catholicism, um, and his social awkwardness. Uh, Coppola's kind of come out and said, yeah, that is also me as well. Um, he's talked about, you know, how there's something in his memory, the image of the Virgin Mary and confession just seemed comfortable, um, and how it all seemed very Catholic to him. The idea of doing one thing and believing another. And I don't know, I, I guess kind of like that that's the thing where I'm wondering, like, is there an element of Coppola I... as... At like a stereotypical Catholic feeling responsible for things that he may or may not be responsible for. I think like so. Is this... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, 
and that that it's kind of um it's a more stark version of himself because it's without the sort of like um you know the Coolness sensuality stuff. or the the like, like like the um there's no food in this movie really there are, there are, <laughs> there are the cookies so there's that no are food refused. waste yeah. um, so hopefully they do get eaten but it, they that like with with the Godfather like the um. In Godfather Part Two, there's something kind of like even 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 though you're meant to kind of um, understand um, that you don't want to be in this world, you kind of do want to be in this world because they always seem to be kind of you know um, eating and drinking together and um, um, having essentially a good time. Um, where whereas this is stripped of that, yeah. so it's not it's not Francis Ford Coppola the restaurateur. Um, <laughs> the gourmet, the winery owner, Coppola, the 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 winery owner. It it it's him, the the filmmaker. Um, because I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of that in there, like things like the conversation that he has with the other wiretappers, where they're all like, "How do you do this? How do you? Do- I don't understand how you did this thing. I don't understand how you accomplished this impossible task." And like again, you hear accounts of like him and Scorsese and Spielberg. Um. And De Palma kind of sitting down and going, how did you do that shot? You want to, you know, want that shot. I mean, there's a, the really great conversation, and we'll include the link in the show notes, with De Palma, where De Palma is interviewing about the conversation. And two great things about that interview. The first is that De Palma's very much like, Hitchcock's great. This movie reminded me of Hitchcock. Could you talk about how great Hitchcock is? <laughs> Which is very on brand for Brian De Palma. <laughs> and the, the other thing is that, like, Coppola's response to that, like, tell me how much you love Hitchcock, is to basically slap De Palma down and go, well, you know, he's a good director, but I'm not particularly impressed by Hitchcock because I always know exactly how he did stuff. And Coppola's talked about how for him as a filmmaker, a large part of the appeal of making films, and it reflects, it goes back to what Kira said with things like One for the Heart and things like Rumblefish, which is for him as a filmmaker, he always wanted to do stuff that people would go, how did you do that? How did you accomplish that? Like, how did you get away with that? What was the trick that you used to get that? And again, the way in which they talk about bugging and they talk about Harry, like, well, how did you get that recording? How did you figure out how to do that? What were the mechanics of it? The bit where, like, Sal, you know, Stan goes up on the board and he's like, look, here's the layout. Here's what we want to accomplish. You want to get these two people in this space with this crowd and you want to be able to follow them. That's all very, again, problem solving, very specifically kind of film oriented. But that's not what the movie is about. No. Is the thing. Well, it's, it's that, 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 that it's, 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 it's about what's, um, what's beneath. Um, yes, it's about meaning. Yeah, yeah. It's it, and the um, idea that you lose the meaning in the pursuit of technique, perhaps. Oh, well, one of the well, things. Well, in 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 that scene where they're all going, how did you how did you get that recording? Oh my god, it was so amazing. And Gene Hackman's performance is really interesting in that scene because, on one hand, he is really proud of it, like. The guy says, you must have had at least three microphones. And he's like, I did it in two. two. <laughs> um, but he's also like has a real, really deep seated shame that like part of why he doesn't want to talk about it is because like trade secrets or whatever. But also part of why he doesn't want to talk about it is because that job led to three people being murdered. Uh, and the whole film is him wrestling with 
how responsible he was for that and whether he will be responsible for if there's another murder on the job he's working on now. And like <laughs> the scene where he goes to confession and he, he like warms up by confessing about like stealing newspapers or whatever. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, but when he talks about the murder, he's, he, he says he's worried the murder is going to happen. And then he says about the murder that he was involved in before in his work. And he's, he kind of goes, I wasn't responsible. I'm not responsible. It was just work. I'm not responsible. And then he goes, I'm sorry. And it's like, why are you sorry if you're not responsible, Harry? <laughs> Very yeah. Maybe it's because you are responsible. And I I think that's why he's trying to make himself as small as he can. Mm-hmm. Because it, 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 that kind of like takes away your responsibility. He, he's, he's a person who has no um, personal kind of belongings or connections. Or the le- the less connections you have, the harder it is to... For someone to be hurt because you're connected to them. Yeah. And that, that, like, his girlfriend doesn't know, like, anything about him. (laughs) Where'd you work, Harry? Well, yeah. (laughs) Do you live alone? (laughs) What do you call it? It, It's, um, that thing about kind of like, I'm not worried about death. I'm worried about, um, uh, murder. Murder. It kind of reminded me of. Well, that's a very Catholic kind of thing. It's, no, Same. but it, it 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 also kind of re- reminded me, and maybe this is just me, but of of kind of like what's worse, having somebody break up with you or breaking up with somebody, and that 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 he is a person who who can't express his love for people, and that's um, like to them kind of like he he never loved them, so he's not uh, so he's not worth thinking of. So he can't. I don't know. There was there, there was there was there was just something kind of um, in his withholding. Um, it's, that, it that, reminds that, me. That, sorry, that felt like it was saying a lot about him. If um, you don't let anyone in close enough to love you, then you can't be upset when they stop loving you. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, if if we want the rewards of being loved, we have to submit to the mortifying ordeal of being known, as the as the memeified quote goes. Yeah. No, it's 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 so true, and that that that, that like, um, why would you inflict that on someone? Quite aside from like, um, uh, feeling uncomfortable or awkward about putting yourself out there, but why would you inflict yourself upon another person? Like of 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 <laughs> of, of, of saying like, I'm going to open up the door and I'm going to give you all of me. No, yeah, that's right, all of me. And um, <laughs> like you're just gonna have to deal with that because I love you, I love you, I love you, and won't you love me too? Even this bit, um, and it's it's uh, it's far easier to um, to to maintain to... the distance. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that, can I can I ask a question? Right. So much is made in the movie of how good Harry Cole is at his job, mostly from other people and mostly based on historical experience. So you have people talk about like, he was the best bugger on the, he used to be the best bugger on the East coast. Now he's the best bugger on the West coast, but you have things like people being like, Oh, can we get an endorsement? Can we get a picture of you with this thing? Harry Mm. Cole, Harry, it's like, it's, you don't know who Harry Cole is. The whole scene at the conference is just like insane. Why are any of these things allowed to be sold? Let alone at a conference. (laughs) well, okay, well, thank, there, thankfully, there some... things have moved on since then. You've seen the scene that it was it, it, it was it was it was probably one one of the um, 
probably, yeah, it was probably the worst uh, Jason Bourne movie, Jason Bourne, right? Although, it, like, it was interesting. I don't think it was bad, per se. I only watched the trilogies. So. Surely the Bourne legacy takes it. I, I mean, it's not like it's it, they're, they're a race to the bottom at that point. But I, I think the Bourne legacy kind of takes it. Might it, do, is, yeah. But... The Bourne legacy is like waiting for Bourne. It's like he's just around the corner, we swear. We have some archive footage of Matt Damon and Jeremy Renner. Is that not good enough for you? And the answer <laughs> is no. No, it is not. Um, but like... But they have the same thing there. They have the, yeah. the, the kind of like... Um, uh, surveillance conference um, where you're wondering how on earth is any of this legal <laughs> well the, the thing is like Kira, Kira asked that but like until 1968 wiretapping without a warrant was entirely legal um, it wasn't until it's still like... by the way <laughs> no I'm I'm, but... I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm being I'm being serious um, warrantless uh, wiretapping still um, takes place in the United States. It's, it, it, it's just that private individuals can't do it. Yes, yeah. Uh, that's, that's... If, if, yes. If, if, if you're the NSA, you don't get... Um, uh... A warrant. No, no. They, yeah. and, and, and you don't get convicted um, yeah. for yeah. it. And um, yeah. if you're a whistleblower, um, as opposed to a wiretapper, you uh, do get um, yeah. a sentence to kind of, you know... It's a great system. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, again, anyway, in, in, 19, in 1967, you had Cats uh, versus the United States, um, where you had this kind of like this idea. Cats. that Cats. Yes. <laughs> We're going to finally talk about cats. But you had this idea that, you know, wherever a man may be, he's entitled to know that he will remain free from unreasonable searches and seizures. And the argument was that that might extend to telephones. Although the, the court also made the point that President Johnson, like, you know, had the legal right to conduct wiretaps without a warrant. In 1968, you had Hal Lipset, who was an inspiration for Harry Cole, down to the distinctive trench coat. He installed a transmitter inside a fake olive and bugged a Senate subcommittee in order to illustrate his point about how maybe you need to impose legal restrictions on this. And then in 1968, you're right, you had the Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act, uh, which basically restricted wiretapping for private individuals as well. Although the law noted that, yes, there was presidential authority to uh, uh, authorize such wiretaps as were necessary, and I quote, to protect the United States against the overthrow of the government by force or other unlawful means or against any clear and present danger to the structure and existence of the government. If it's but yes. the president, it's not illegal. <laughs> it's not illegal. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you. But yeah, so that was that was the that was the context of it. Like up until 1968, no one had even thought that this stuff might be morally questionable. Uh, which is kind of terrifying <laughs> of itself. Um, and again, that was the context in which it was written. And Coppola's kind of like said well, that he almost if, feels... if you've nothing to hide, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Why are then you what's bothered the problem? about yeah. You know? But the question I was going to ask that I was kind of building to there is like, we hear so much about Harry Cole being the best bugger on the West Coast. However, over the course of the film, he doesn't seem like he's particularly good at any part of his job that isn't the technical aspect. And I get that that's thematically relevant, but things like, you know, his girlfriend spots him loitering in the stairwell when he's spying on her, for example. She can tell the distinctive sound that he makes when he puts the key in the lock. He gets bugged by Moran. Uh, he gets bugged by Stet at the end of the movie as well. His landlady gets into his apartment, presumably without triggering the alarm, um, and leaves his leaves a birthday present there, which, by the way, means that she has figured out what his birthday is and his age. Um, 
So I kind of love the idea that Harry Cole is like, I am the best I am at what I do. He gets obviously... And also and also the tapes get, get stolen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, like it, the idea... I kind of love that, like, it's a very, it's very aware, it's making a point, it's a thematic point that, like, so much of this stuff isn't technical, it's social, but I do love oh, yeah. that, like, Harry Cole is the worst person at his job. Well, the, the Meredith um, uh, all but tells him <laughs> what's going on. Like, yeah, she, <laughs> he starts playing the tape over and over again, and he's, like, really a- agitated about it. And she says, it's just a trick. And he's like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> a job, you know? And it's like, who calls jobs tricks? Yeah. <laughs> um, that, he didn't listen for the emphasis That there. woman just has been paid to go to that party <laughs> to keep you company. Um, I mean, did you pay her? For, no. She wasn't there for the sparkling personality of all those men who seemed like upstanding citizens, incredibly charismatic and charming. I think the when he gets bugged with the pen is is the most devastating because it's, it's once you realize it's so obvious like who puts a free pen like directly in your pocket yeah. but he doesn't think of it at all and and it records like this one moment in the whole film where yeah. he lets himself be emotionally vulnerable yeah and the guy just plays it back and it's just devastating both because of like the humiliation of being bugged when you're Harry Call and also like being bugged for that particular moment is so like raw. Oh. And, oh. and by Bernie Moran, this hoxter has to try to straight oh, out of Detroit, go, you baby. Me, you you and me would go 50-50, Harry. We could sell a million of these things. I got the manufacturing already. The way he says this is junk to Stan as he's leaving uh when when Stan has to man the booth and, and he's talked Stan and it's coming back and, and he just has to turn back and go, this is junk. And then for <laughs> that guy to bug him with a pen and, and I, I knew what happened when when there was an, like an insert of the pen. Yeah. Uh, to, like it was, it was short, but I was like, oh, Harry, you, you fool, you fool. And I mean, like that that's the thing is that like, I think like this is the paradox of it is that Harry like rationally wants to be distant from people because he like he has this as we point out this sublimated idea of guilt and responsibility the idea that if he's not close to anybody he can't hurt them and if he can't hurt them it's not his fault he's not responsible he's not accountable he doesn't owe them anything um, and again it's uh, notable that one of the subplots deleted from the movie was the idea that harry owns the building um and that harry was the landlord of the building um, technically speaking, legally speaking, the the landlady was just a superintendent, and the idea that there was going to be this subplot about him not maintaining the building properly and him wanting to let it get run down so that he could like sell it when they needed to demolish it, like the rest of the area around it that you see. Oh, that's so classic landlord behavior. <laughs> yeah, a very <laughs> timely movie. <laughs> but like the the idea that like on. All this stuff is that, like, on the surface, that's there. But you have the paradox that, like, he clearly wants to connect with people. Like, he clearly feels bad that, like, Stan leaves him when he is terrible to Stan. Like, he feels abandoned and betrayed by Stan, even though he has done nothing to, like, retain (laughs) Stan's loyalty. Um, He clearly, like, he's clearly thinking um, about, like, his girlfriend, Terry Gar, about Amy, I think. Is it Amy? Um, Amy, but, yeah. Amy. But he's thinking about Amy when he's with Meredith. He's having that kind of, like, third-person conversation mm-hmm. about her. She's clearly occupying his mind. 
Um, but he can't make that. I think it's that paradox of him, like, on the surface level, wanting to put away, but still having that yearning for human connection and the idea that that makes him so, that gives him these blind spots, which is is so fascinating. I think it's interesting because of how much he, how much stock he puts in both like personally and professionally into being inconspicuous. It's like the way the movie starts, like the street performer, the mime, kind of yeah. like following mimicking him. him. And he's drawing attention to him, um, whereas he, he, he is uh, made up to look like as kind of nondescript as possible. Like the, the, the Gene Hackman is uh, 44 years of age and has been um, since he was born. <laughs> um, and that but it, like I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not criticizing his his looks or anything. He's he's. He's beautiful um, in his own way. And uh, God makes no mistakes. Um, he's on the right track. Darren, he was born that age. <laughs> okay. Sorry. But like, I, I do think that there, there is... Some, again, and Hackman's talked about how this was a very difficult role for him because it's very much against his natural personality. And again, like Coppola, he th- Hackman thinks this is his best role. Hackman thinks this is the best performance that he is he has ever given. It's a good show. Is that fair to say, uh, Dean Kira? I've not. I've only seen four Gene Hackman films. I'm not qualified. Oh, what are the four? <laughs> You'll never Lovers. guess. Uh, oh, can I? Welcome to Mooseport. Okay. Okay. This is fun for the listeners as well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, get your pen and paper out. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. Can Can I go? Can I go first? Or, or do we? Yeah. yeah? Okay. I'm 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 going to say like, and this is probably a bad guess, but I'm going to say the Royal Tenenbaums. That's one of the three others in the conversation. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Nice. The other two are uh, the Quick and the Dead, and Superman the movie. <laughs> Amazing. But crucially, not Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. No, no, not Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. Um, so, in terms of the, those four Hackman movies, like, is this <laughs> like, like, like asking you to assess Coppola based on the six films that you have seen of Coppola's? How how does this rank? How does this compare to The Quick and the Dead? Oh, I mean, this is of those four. This is by far his best. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's a wonderful uh, he's a wonderful cartoon villain. Um, but, but enough but about the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> But he's tr- he's transcendent in this. This is like it's it, it. I I I like how um, it, a lot of time when when a character is very like withdrawn and self isolating and and keeps out to themselves, the audience is still let in on things. Like I think about um, in Goodwill Hunting, the, he, he, different people have bits of what's going on with Will, but he ultimately doesn't inform everybody about like everything he's feeling or everything in his past but we the audience get to see all of it so we get it um in this we are just as in the dark about harry as as the characters are we don't get any special insight into him apart from the the dream really that um that the other people don't get don't get can can i ask a question actually because this is something kira mentioned earlier and you kind of alluded to there the sequence where he goes into confession and he makes the confession and that is an interesting scene to me because of how that's shot and how it's edited. Um, and it, if you watch the scene, his lip movements follow as he talks about like stealing a newspaper uh, and I think having impure thoughts, I think is the other one as well. And then like the, the classic. 
classic, classic, classic Catman. Using the Lord's yeah. name in vain. Yeah. 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 You, you, the camera kind of tracks up. And as it's tracking up, his lip movements don't really sync with what he's saying about the three bodies. Uh, about the three about like he the, the people who died and how he felt he's not responsible for that but he is sorry and i'm wondering and i want to throw this to dean and, and kira and andrew i'm wondering is that a just simple filmmaking in that like they watched the film and they realized they needed to ad or some stuff in there about <laughs> exposition and backstory and they're like yeah just just, just zoom in on his me- it won't they won't notice that the lip movements don't match or is it well, meant I, to i certainly or is it meant to imply because okay. i was focusing on the um and the priest who's played by his brother i wasn't looking i I wasn't looking at the lips i was looking um true to see how much i could see of the priest because i i thought that um it 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 was it was going to be moran (laughs) 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 again the best bugger on the east coast yeah yeah (laughs) i was also looking at the at the divider because i was trying to see was the priest there at all? Like, because the person who came out of the confession beforehand was just a little kid who might have just run into the confession booth because <laughs> little kids like to go into cupboards. So I was like, is there even a priest there? Or did Harry just walk into the confessional booth? Because the priest doesn't say anything yeah. if he is there. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, is this is that an internal thing? So are you being kind of let inside Harry's head in that moment or is he actually it's like an externalizing? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. That's is it the, like the dream sequence? Is the movie so subjective, so much inside Harry's head? Because like the words like it's so much of this movie is about Harry listening to the tape, and you hear the conversation over and over and over again. Hmm. And it's it's hard to tell. I've watched the movie several times. But I, it does feel like the recording changes each time. The emphasis, as we said, I mean, you know, I really love that moment where they said he'd kill us if he had the chance. Um, <laughs> but there is this sense of the movie situating you in Harry's perspective. So, like, is it is it possible that sequence is just in his head? He's just that's his internal monologue. Um, well, or it's does a- it matter? It, it's as, it, it's kind of as close as you get to kind of having a dream. Yeah, is talking to a uh, priest because he, 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 uh, as 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 in like um, you don't think of it as talking to another person. Yeah, that 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 it he he is like a conduit for God. Um, yeah. And and can cannot tell anybody else or really even kind of like absorb it in any like meaningful way. He's just a vessel. He's just a tool. He's yeah. a radio to God. To to paraphrase another Harrison Ford movie, <laughs> um, but like, but he he is like he's a listening device. He's like right. the microphone. He's not a, a person with agency. He's not another human being. Yeah. That that's that's fair. I think. Um, in terms of of kind of like and again the 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 70s-ness of this movie, because this is a quintessentially 70s movie in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, when it was released, Coppola like almost said it was a shame that Watergate happened because it meant that everybody talked about this movie <laughs> in the context of Watergate <laughs> instead of appreciating this strange Catholic parable <laughs> that he'd made about how guilty he maybe feels about making The Godfather. Um, but no, I, I kind of... The universality of it and the fact that it feels so anchored to a particular moment. And I mean, like Moran, like Moran's little speech about the presidential candidate whose campaign he sabotaged, like that has to be Nixon. 
Like 12 years ago, it cannot be anybody but Nixon. And you have Coppola himself appears on television, like during that sequence in the hotel room next to the hotel room, talking about like Nixon and talking about Watergate and talking about this stuff that's happening. And this is the point at which Hollywood really begins leaning into conspiracy thrillers. And leaning into the idea of, like, paranoid surveillance narratives. I mean, obviously, you could point to things like Sidney Lumet's uh, The Anderson Tapes from a couple of years earlier, for example, from 1971, if you wanted to. But by and large, the conspiracy thriller genre really kicks off here. Because this is the year that has this, and it has the parallax view, and the following year you get Three Days of the Condor. So, like... Dean, Kira, in terms of the 70s-ness of this, in terms of the Watergate-ness of this, in terms of like this reflecting America in the 70s, is this the most 70s movie? Maybe. It, it, to, be, to be the most 70s movie, it would have to also be about Vietnam. That's true. Um, I think that's a good point. Although, I mean, is it about Vietnam? <laughs> probably i don't we know can, we could get there eventually if we just stretched hard <laughs> enough i mean again the idea of moral responsibility and the idea yeah, of like yeah. whether or not you're acting over there and the extent of american involvement because the whole are thing you the responsible like, for <laughs> yeah. death because your job led to people being killed even yeah. though you personally did not that is but okay it's about vietnam yeah most yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> convince myself Kira listening back to the podcast going, the most 70s movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the visual storytelling of the kind of the upshot of the director's building. Because and and because it's it's the idea of like things being bigger than you. Um yeah. that he is such a small man, he's kind of like the um uh, walking up to this like colossal building. And that he that he doesn't really have um, any, and he's made himself smaller as well, you yeah. know. He doesn't but, have any connections or network. He doesn't have anybody he can talk to. He doesn't have anybody who can support him. He doesn't even have a coworker by that point in the movie. I think like hmm. he's gotten rid of Stan. Collie. He's he's all by himself. I'm <laughs> supposed to come back on Monday, but <laughs> um, but like I mean, and and in terms of kind of the seventiesness of the movie, like there's an interesting thing happening where. It's very much about, again, the most 70s movie, but about the breakdown of society, the collapse of society, the decay of absolutely everything. And you have it literally in those shots of the demolition of the neighborhood. You have it at the end with the demolition of the apartment. Like that you could argue, like the conversation is what Coppola is doing with the Godfather in miniature, where you have the destruction of society outside, but then you also have the corruption of the family and the destruction of the family home at the end of it. So it all ends up the same way anyway. But you arguably also have things like the, there's this weird blurring that happens in the movie uh, between the public and the private sector that I, I find really interesting, where Harry worked for the attorney general in New York. Um, he worked in law enforcement there. One of his employees is still a police officer, but that police officer freelances in order to like work for well, him I, as well. I don't think he... I think he had a contract for the attorney general. I don't, I, I, is, is, it, okay, is but, it suggested that... I don't, I don't think he's kind of had a... Well, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I guess we don't know, but um, yeah, I never imagined. It's ambiguous whether he was like a private contractor working for the attorney general or he was working directly for the attorney general. But also, that says a lot about yeah stuff in itself. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, no, I was just going to say that I think he must have been a private contractor because uh, when Bernie says that he was working for the attorney general, he goes, you didn't know I knew that, did you? Uh, yeah. Whereas if he was just like the attorney general's wiretap guy, <laughs> probably he was on some sort of pay reasonably public payroll. That would be really funny if he was just an employee of the attorney general. So I'm now I've changed my mind. He, he mean- was an employee and... Dixon had the plumbers. The plumbers weren't like uh, the plumbers weren't contractors, right? The plumbers were actually like paid from funds, right? Well, one of them was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Then the other were CIA men. Yeah, yeah, but they were government employees. Was the 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 um um was the White House staffer involved in that? But yeah, but I, I, I think. Or I might be wrong. But like, again, this this idea that you have the kind of blurring of boundaries, you have the police officer who is working like part time with them, who's like doing on the side is doing these private surveillance things. You have the idea of like Stet, who like seems it took me a while to figure out that he was that that was a private company. I was wondering, like, was he was he contracting for the government again? Because Stet like looks like an FBI, CIA, NSA agent down to having the flag pin on his lapel. And Harrison Ford is so good in this because yes, like he, he feels like he is like um the devil. <laughs> yeah. You know? That 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 it's kind of like, you know, um I am the face of like, you know, progress. Everything wrong. And, um like the the this is the direction of the world and I am in charge, you know, kind of, um, and, and there's something so kind of, uh, malevolent and powerful in that performance. Um, and it's such a small role. He's so ominous, Mm. just like, he just gives you a bad feeling. Absolutely. And like the way in which he looms in the background of shots and stuff. Like when yeah. when Harry walks out and he realizes that Mark works at the office and you have like in the background of the shot, you have Harrison Ford standing there with the with the envelope full of money just waving it in the air. And even the bit where he comes into shot as the elevator doors closing with his shadow on the wall, it's just so beautifully done. As they're smoking in an elevator, which is maybe inappropriate. Nice. The bit at the the conference where um, Harry is uh, trying out the little CCTV setup and he sees Martin on it and he starts surveilling Martin at the surveillance conference while Martin is surveilling him. And Martin seems to see him through the camera, like again, like reinforcing that sense that he may literally be the devil. I do love, by the way, that Martin's like, um, and again, this gets back to the whole Harry being the worst at his job, where Harry's like, are you following me? And he's like, no, I'm looking for you. That's two different things. And it's like, (laughs) how... How did you find me? And like, as in Harry's like, I'm so careful. I'm covering my tracks. And he's like, it's a surveillance conference. You work in surveillance. It seemed like a logical place to start looking they for literally, you. Literally, like right at the start of the movie, uh, Stan reads about how in the trade papers, they've yes. said like the great Harry Call is going to be at the conference. He said he would be in advance. Yeah, like, yeah. Again, I, I love how terrible Harry is at like, the, the thing that is most important to him. But apparently Harrison Ford got cast. Um, obviously, this is the point where he'd done American Graffiti. 
he was still doing carpentry jobs because he couldn't get enough work to work consistently off the, the back of these things. Um, and apparently casting agent Fred Roos, who cast him in American Graffiti, got him an audition for this. And he was like, look, there's nothing on the page here. This character, when he got the, when he got the script, the character didn't have a name. The character had just one scene, which is the scene where he tries to take the, the first scene where he meets him in the office. And Ford came up with the idea of buying a loud green silk suit for the sum of $900. When he showed up for the script read-through, Coppola asked, what the hell are you doing? And Coppola and Ford said, actually, here's my pitch. The character is gay. The character is closeted. And that is his secret. That is his angle here. The idea is that this character has something to play. He has his own secret that he is keeping, just like Harry's trying to keep his, but he is much better at keeping it. And so that is apparently what convinced uh, what convinced Coppola to kind of up Ford's presence in the movie, to give him a more substantial role, and to keep bringing him back scenes after scenes after scene. Um, so that, that's kind of interesting uh, in terms of like 1974 filmmaking. Harrison Ford decided to play the character gay did anybody pick up on that no well he did have a great body (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true like a a, but that's the kind of a gay cliche well in all fairness i think the the point of of ford's pitch was that no one that the audience wouldn't pick up on the fact that he was gay Ah. Uh, so if we had maybe that would have made it a bad performance but i don't know by his logic, anyway, it's it's just a great performance. It's kind of a catch twenty two situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and and Ford's talked about how frustrating it is. Like, he's hired to play these roles, and he does this stuff where he's like, "I've invented this rich internal life for the character, <laughs> and that rich and in- that rich internal life is so internal that it doesn't come to the surface in any way, shape, or form." <laughs> but nobody seems to notice, um, which I kind of like. He he talks about how like he did after uh, like the conversation he did Apocalypse Now, where he played an intelligence officer in the American Army. George Lucas saw the footage that Ford was in and didn't recognize Ford until halfway through the sequence, which I kind of like, again, that idea of Ford being so good at playing these anonymous functionaries, uh, which I do kind of love as well. But to bring it back to that question of like private and public stuff and and the Catholicism of it, like, is this a religious movie? Because this is very much about trying to make sense of the world and the idea of like what responsibility is and what guilt is. And is the possible kind of Catholic reading of the movie tied to this idea in the 70s of the breakdown of moral and social order? The idea that Harry can't count on the government to do their job. He never even thinks about going to the lawful authorities with the recording or with his suspicions. Um, You know, all these people who are supposed to be in positions of authority are working secondary jobs. And like, it's telling that the characters in this movie are more worried about being discovered by a private sector wiretap expert than being caught by, like, the police and investigators and detectives. So is the movie's religious subtext perhaps part of that, in that the idea is that this world in 1974 is so upside down and so chaotic that Harry's faith and religion is, like, something he's falling back on? It's an attempt to impose a moral order on the universe. Is there anything in there, or? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it it's spirituality, but it it's good. Like you can see it in in different ways. And the movie, to its credit, kind of like gives you, um, lots of different doors 
to walk through in order to understand that. That is kind of um, spirituality, if you want to say that, or God, or just kind of humanity. Where, where um, the I I'm blanking on her name, or maybe we don't we don't discover her name, but the woman in the conversation talks about kind of like the Anne, um, I think it is. Yeah, it, about it the is. homeless man, and about yeah. thinking yeah. kind of like that. Um, that I always think that um, they have that, a father or a mother. That was once that was once a baby boy, you know. Yeah, and the the. That um, that's kind of what's being lost in the in the kind of journey from like a a a, a baby boy to the kind of like the detritus of humanity, and that's the, and that that's the way that society is going, and that's what so much of seventies cinema is about, is about just kind of like um, people being kind of um, stripped of 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 their humanity. humanity. Yeah. Yeah, because um, coal is a coal is the the cell membrane around a fetus, isn't it? If I remember correctly, that's what an actual coal is. A C A U C A U L. I believe really? that's a technical term. Yep, that's apparently it. Although obviously, I believe Coppola also loved the idea of the coal, and and obviously the implications <laughs> yeah. there. I like I like wordplay. Um, but ap- apparently, that's it. Apparently, the name coal resulted from a photocopying error. It was meant to be C A L L but it looked like a C-A-U-L. And he was like, yep, that works too. I'll take that as well. Uh, In terms of the religion stuff, um, like Harry's Catholicism seems like entirely based around like guilt and shame and not any kind of belief or faith in a positive sense, which is, which is very Catholic because Mother Teresa didn't believe in God and look at her. Um, and you inspiration just keep doing to us it all. until yeah. you just keep doing it until it, it comes back. And if it doesn't come back, oh well, at least you did it. And and that's kind of where Harry is to me in terms of like he like the dream that his soul will be made clean again. Yeah. But yeah. he his soul can't be made clean again because he won't acknowledge responsibility. his responsibility so he's kind of stuck in this loop and yeah like in the in the final sequence when he's smashing up everything looking for the the bug the the bug and he and there's like a, a virgin mary statue and he like doesn't want to smash it and then he smashes it <laughs> and it's kind of like i laughed out loud when he <laughs> He literally reaches around behind the Virgin Mary yeah. statue to get the bit to get the tchotchkes next to it, <laughs> uh, as, and then he turns around briefly, considers the Virgin Mary statue, and then he just withdraws his hand immediately. And I just laughed out loud. And then he goes back to it, and there's something there's something wonderful about um, the revelation that that is like a really Absolutely. cheap piece of rubber tack. Yeah. Yeah. He, he he like rips it apart in his hand so easily. I love it when he when he knocks it and he knocks the shelf over rather than knocking it over, which is a great, <laughs> a great, a great directorial choice. Well, that's that that that's like his approach to everything. It's like, well, I'm not responsible for it because I just knocked the shelf over. I didn't knock the, the Virgin Mary. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> sorry, Andrew. Oh no, 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 no! I was just going to say that it's a very astute point that you make about um, the guilt. Yeah. 
And I feel like, like, although I don't have the same experience of um, other religious traditions, I remember being in college and kind of moving away from Catholicism and exploring other kind of like um, uh, uh, spiritual traditions and um, getting a lot out of them, but missing the guilt. And that was yeah. what it was. It was like, yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm okay and I'm not guilty of anything. And that's wrong. What's wrong? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah, that I need yeah. to kind of go back and be reminded that, that that I'm um that all of none of this is okay <laughs> you know yeah yeah so much of being catholic is um just knowing deep in your heart that you're going to go to hell yeah mm. like, no matter what pro- you do Protestants yeah. think they're saved or whatever it's like no we're we're going to hell <laughs> yeah it was the, 100%. the most genuine religious experience i've ever had in my life was was the certainty that i felt um that i was going to hell yeah. Um, no matter what I did, like yeah, yeah. no matter what I was you did, more you certain have to be of sorry. that than anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what what can I say about further about the religious stuff is um, that God is like the ultimate surveyor. Right. <laughs> He's like yes. wiretapping everybody all the time up there. He wiretaps our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. He's the God in the quad. But the, that's it. You have that that divide between action and observance observance and participation like because yeah. that's the whole thing about the movie is the question of like harry want harry getting involved like because that's the line that i think stets gives him where he gives him the the money and he's like you don't want to get involved with this you yeah. don't want to participate you want to observe and again that fundamental catholic question of like if god exists why do we live in the world in which we live and why are we all going to hell and why would God just stand on the sidelines and kind of, sorry, this is bringing back a lot of 12-year-old Darren angst. It's, but that, like- we, it's <laughs> that we have a choice. It's just that, it's just that the choice that uh, God wants us to make is impossible. Yes. And futile. But also God is God is not going to help us. Like and, no. or if he is going to help us, he's going to help us in a very, you know, metaphorical abstract way as opposed to like literally helping us and talking to us and communicating with us in a way that we can understand. It's it, like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be morally uh, praiseworthy if we were if we had any inclination or or <laughs> yeah. assistance yeah. in yeah. in in that direction. So um, that 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 kind of like tips you off, I guess. And 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 that feels like that feels like what Harry is doing here, where he's he's he is almost God. He's made himself almost God, where he is yeah. this observer. And again, it's very telling that you have the wonderful opening shot, the amazing opening shot of the movie, where you start from on high and yeah. you kind of zoom in into the crowd and you focus on one person. And you have this kind of idea of, yeah, this is what God must see. Sorry, I realize I'm sounding like a ranting maniac on this podcast. <laughs> what kind of God allows that? This is what God must feel like. But the idea what does that, a, yeah. What does God need with a starship? Uh, yeah. <laughs> why, why doesn't God give me Martin Scorsese's The Conversation? Um, but like, yeah. The, the idea that, like, yeah, that Harry is replicating God. Harry is mimicking God or mimicking his understanding of God, that, that, which that, is this passive observer with no investment. Sorry. But, because that, that, that's the whole kind of, like, idealist uh, kind of conception of God is that, like, how, how, how do things exist when no one is around to kind of, like, hear or see or smell them? And it's like, because God sees everything. And that instantiates everything. Sorry, Bishop Berkeley. Oh, don't get me on a Bishop yes, Berkeley. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that 
exactly yeah and 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 that that's as 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 you both are saying is is what call is trying to do and the irony then and i guess kind of like this is a way to kind of wrap up but the darren says before we end up talking for another half an hour (laughs) (laughs) like this is your podcast bingo when darren says we're starting to wrap up it's like okay i can i can stick a chicken meal in the oven it will be done by the time the podcast finished um but like the idea that you have this very selfish version of morality where that line i'm not afraid of death i am afraid of murder where call isn't or harry isn't like afraid of suffering he isn't afraid of other people being hurt he's afraid of like his moral implication in it he's afraid of sin not suffering and the idea that it's a very uh, solipsistic kind of way of looking at the world where it would almost be fine if this stuff was happening and he didn't know about it where like if he hadn't listened to the recording at all if he hadn't heard or if he was suffering from yeah. it yeah, if he were the like victim, if, rather than... if he were the victim of it, but yeah. rather than being the part, like the idea that if he hadn't listened to the recording at all and the the director had still been murdered, um, that would be fine with him. It's the idea that he's implicated in it. That's almost like he's almost. It, it's all about him. It's like the director isn't even a character. The director doesn't even get a name. The director is Robert just Duval. the director. Robert in a, a really great. I love that Duval just kind of shows up and he's like, "Yeah, I'm in a scene of the movie." Um and it's really good. Um but See sorry, you in Godfather 3. <laughs> 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 um, finally I'm getting paid more than Pacino for a movie, mainly because Pacino isn't in the movie. Um, <laughs> But like yeah, so the, like that that question of like whether or not like because it's so again it it's that seventies idea society's broken down. There's no real sense of there's no real sense of this existing outside of Harry's head or experience no, or and, and observance. Others. Yeah, like that. That's the kind of, it feels like yeah. a kind of like a, <laughs> like an obvious question at the end of the movie is how much of this is real. You know, I think there's um like a fight club I, situation. Right. Harry is dead. That's the twist. <laughs> no, just like Andrew was saying earlier, the idea that if you if you um if you know how to be a good person and can do it easily, it's not morally praiseworthy. Um, I find that really interesting because a lot of the time, for most of the film, it's like Harry is letting the fact that he doesn't really know for certain what's going to happen, kind of. He doesn't have to, like, as long as he doesn't know for certain that there's going to be a murder, then he doesn't have to act. But then he's sitting there under the under the sink in the bathroom, and he does know what's happening, and he still doesn't act. He's such a <laughs> coward. Like, he's so afraid of um, of 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 being of being active, and therefore like really actively taking on any moral responsibility that he instead just passively takes on just as much, if not more, moral responsibility. And well, like so- the f- the fact that he goes to the hotel to listen, it like he could have just if he really Told the wanted to just be an, but if he really just wanted to be an observer, he could have just done nothing and not gone. He didn't know he didn't have to go. He didn't have to do anything, but he. He goes and he like listens and he knows there's a murder and then he just like hides under the blankets. It's crazy. And and I think like this is the thing that I, I guess this is kind of a nice way to dovetail all these ideas together because it, it ties into this idea of 
the difference between observe observation and participation, uh, the difference between um, observing and kind of engaging and reporting and understanding. I love that so much of this movie hinges on the idea that Harry is witnessing this stuff, and but he's not understanding it. He's he's engaging with it on the pure level of technical craft. He is trying to enhance the quality of the sound. He's trying to stitch the recording together to make a coherent package, but he's not actually listening. He's not actually engaging. He's not actually like aware of any of the, the human elements of this drama that's playing out. Like, even like even ignoring the question of like whether or not the steel drums distort the emphasis in the he'd kill us if he had the chance um but the the idea that you have in the conversation the first time you hear it i should get him what should i get him for christmas i never know what to get him for christmas what do you get the man who is everything and his response is it won't matter like, <laughs> which is very much like signposting he's going to be dead um, so you don't have to worry about Christmas shopping but the idea that Harry is so fixated on the technical problem of solving the steel drums of like removing the steel drums and making the words coherent English words that he doesn't actually try and engage or understand the meaning of the object with which he's because working. he's not meant to and and, and I, I think that's his kind of um um, arc, I suppose, which isn't really maybe a very satisfying arc for him, because <laughs> I I don't think he gets very um, far because it's it's well, he, established. This is of, not a hogging and learning movie, to be yeah. clear. This is the Seinfeld movie. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's established kind of who he is, and kind of like what he isn't, and we know then what like his growth is going to be if it ever does happen. And he does kind of he does start wanting to find out what what the conversation is about rather than just trying to record the 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 words in it like uh, John uh, Cazale's um, uh, Stan is it yeah. um, is 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 curious about it and he's like like I don't know anything about curiosity and I don't know anything about human nature. Um, and and um, um, if you weren't um, asking questions like that, you'd be a much better technician. Exactly, he says at one point, it's and, like, yeah, it's... and that that comes from a very kind of a primal place for for him because they did one 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 of the kind of biographical things that he relates is that he once um, punched a man in the stomach who died a year later, and that that kind of informs his sort of passivity, where it's like he was a child who punched a person in the stomach. That is how Harry Cole killed Harry Houdini. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's um, right. He, he, but, uh, but, um, um, so he died. That was a week one. later. It was. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It was like it was. He, but like the the act was come up and punch Harry Houdini. And somebody did come up and punch Harry Houdini so hard that he died like quite a while later, if I remember correctly. That's right. Uh, but and sorry, he, that he, was... he wasn't expecting it because it was the thing that he was like, like. You know, he would uh, um, brace yourself. You breathe in, isn't that it? You, you, I say from experience, getting punched in the stomach. See, a lot. If these things you... kind of in in um, on your abdomen called muscles that you tense. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but sorry, Andrew, I cut you off. I but it, I, I, it's a myth. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, um, muscles are real. I've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> it's true for me. <laughs> to quote Kevin Costner from Waterworld. It's Sorry, go me. ahead. 
No, no, no. I, 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 I don't think I was saying anything in particular, was I? <laughs> no, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> other, other, other than um, that, uh, yeah, it was that kind of childhood kind of experience that that informs his his passivity, um, and also being kind of um, paralyzed, I suppose. Yeah, um, and again, a passive observer. Yeah, I mean. I kind of it's it's watching again this is a movie that is both timeless and timely where it's like I watched this obviously in 1974 all the stuff we talked about Nixon all the stuff with Watergate all the stuff with the the bugging and the wiretapping and stuff like that and Vietnam and Vietnam as we <laughs> mentioned I mean they would kill us if they had the chance um but things like the things like the kind of the idea of processing and consuming and obsessively watching and rewatching media in order to catalog it, to list it, uh, to make note of its properties, um, to construct some sort of matrix of it without actually ever engaging with the text in a way that supports the reading of meaning into it. Um, is something that, and again, this is Darren projecting as somebody who writes about pop culture on the internet. But I, I find myself fascinated by how much of modern media seems to be consumed in a way that is very similar to how Harry Cole like listens to the recording, where it's like you're, you're not actually interested in what the book of Boba Fett is about. You're just interested that it contains all these things from your childhood that you loved. You're not interested in what it has to say about the world in which we live or if it has anything to say at all. You like that it contains a Wookiee with black hair and a CGI Luke Skywalker. Um, that's what matters. I that it like doesn't two things. <laughs> <laughs> but like, am, am I, am I, is that just me, Darren Mooney, jaded pop culture commentator writing in the year of our Lord 2022? <laughs> Imagining um, that he gets things and other people don't. Yeah, clearly, that, but no, and, no, and and that they're the worst for it. <laughs> like, yes, no because I I am a terrible person. I am I am the moron of our conversation. I'm the best booger on the East Coast. But no, like I find like when I it's write okay about to this like stuff, Wookies. It, it's okay to like Wookies, uh, and it's okay to like CGI Luke Skywalker. Uh, no judgment. No, here. it's That's, not. <laughs> I will say like it's fairly good. Uh, I feel um, CGI. Luke Skywalker, as in it's an improvement. I I'm very concerned about the the replacement of actors with CGI trend in terms of the state of the world, much more so than as like an aesthetic thing. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I'm a bit worried about um, actors losing the ability to withhold work. Yeah, uh, their only bargaining chip as workers, <laughs> the only bargaining chip any worker has. Yeah. Um, that that worries me a bit more than whether um, whether whether the movement of CGI Luke's lips over his teeth is is convincing or not. Also, leave dead people alone. I know that Mark Hamill isn't dead yet, but I didn't yeah, mean to say you taken yes, from us in twenty sixteen. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. What what Kira meant to say was she knows that Mark Hamill isn't dead yet. Yeah. I, <laughs> I met Mark Hamill once. He was complaining about the hotel Wi-Fi, and I just <laughs> felt like it. And nobody knew who he was, um, and I it 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 it, it was it was crazy because he's like Luke Skywalker. He's like you know the most powerful Jedi, 
and <laughs> and he can't get and, the Wi-Fi working. Yeah, he's he made like he's had to come down to the front desk, like <laughs> to complain about the Wi-Fi, and nobody is giving him even the credit of of being Mark Hamill, and he's like kind of just shaking his head, like, geez. I felt so I felt so sorry for him and it, it ruined any idea of 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 Luke Skywalker as this cool guy. Um <laughs> because Luke just radiated coolness um oh, throughout yeah. the original this is Han Star Solo, Wars. Solo really who yeah, yeah. yeah. Now if Harrison Stole Ford had come down and explained. But okay like ignore ignoring that though like I do think that there's like there is there is this My sense of almost anti Sorry that wasn't a very good uh, uh uh, Harrison Ford, but that would be what he would be complaining about. Yes, it's when he was lighting up. <laughs> I was getting um, blazed in my no smoking room, and the smoke alarm went <laughs> off. Yeah, sorry. Um, but like, like, is there is there something there in the idea of like consuming content without engaging with it, just treating it as something to be like the the fact that like Gene Hackman is like the fact that Harry is like I don't care about the conversation. I just want a big fat recording. The idea that you are like we're in a media landscape where it's just like you want more stuff that is like the stuff no, that you like already. I, you want? Okay. I, 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 no, no, not at all. I, 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 I think okay. this this does speak to and and sorry, like that's what it means for you. But the, the, what 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 I mean by no, not at all is like no, not at all. I didn't get any of of that out of it, and I don't. I, I still don't. Um, but it that doesn't mean that it's not. Um, uh, uh, timely, you know that 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 um, just the very idea of surveillance, kind of, and privacy is is, is 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 not now um, irrelevant. It's, no, I'm, it's, I'm not. It's a very it's, it's a very twenty uh, first century movie. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not. Actually... It's about the Patriot Act. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and Edward that, Snowden and stuff like that. Yeah, there's, sorry. What what I what I mean, Darren, is that like I I I agree that it's timely, but I, I but I, I I don't kind of relate to it in in the way that you describe it. Okay. Um, I I don't know. Just the idea of like the idea of that meaning, like the idea of trying to discern meaning from sig- like so much of this is about signal, like the fact that the first sounds you hear are not words; they're just noise. And the idea of deriving meaning from them. The idea that you can render that ambient noise into human voices, but it's up to you to determine understanding from them. Anyway, sorry. I, I, sorry but I, I, I don't know how much that links back to kind of like fandom and okay. wanting to just kind of like feed the baby. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know what I mean? Um, right. But anyway, no, right. no, no, it's it's not that that... It's not that that's not a valid like interpretation of it. I I, I just don't kind of like see it myself. Okay. Um, is there anything else, uh, Dean, Kira? Anything you guys want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed already with regards to the the conversation? Anything jumping out at you? Um, I actually um on that idea of like the the repeated viewing um of media, I actually do think there's something to that, but not uh, I actually think that might be how it's about Vietnam. The ah. just. Because because Vietnam was of course the first like televised war and ah, this idea yeah. of constantly watching this thing over and over and trying to convince yourself that you're not responsible you're not involved but also you keep coming back to it and you just it's ble- it's it's like ble- I'm, ugh, sorry I lost my words it's like shining this huge big spotlight on your moral responsibility but you just keep looking at it and this going. Nah, nah. 
Not me. Those troop movements are kind of interesting. I don't know how that. <laughs> but it becomes another thing as well when you kind of like record it and watch it. It becomes kind it of like entertainment rather than like connecting with the reality of it. Yeah. yeah. And again, it becomes divorced from meaning and context. The idea that these images that you see, these horrible images, like again, how much of the, the imagery of Vietnam that we process, like have we become inured to because it's it's something that is just, again, think of like the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Within... Play some credence over it. <laughs> Fortunate son. And that will really communicate. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, no, the idea like even... <laughs> Man, it really was a tragedy. I'm really glad. Well, thank you, Robert Zemeckis. Um, but the idea that you, yeah, that that you kind of you repeat the images and the images become meaningless um, through repetition. I think that I think there's something in that. But Harry, Harry can't like the whole film is like he's he's trying to not deal with meaning and to avoid meaning, but like he can't. Like it's it's mm. you, you can't just push it away. Like it's the whole film he's like freaking out i mean he doesn't admit to himself that he's freaking out but he's like <laughs> someone's dead yeah murdered yeah you know like he can't he can't think of it as just words that he's decoding he's like confessing to the priest about it and going oh it's not my responsibility it's not my responsibility but you're still saying it in confession or not who knows <laughs> but he, but he um, also completely misunderstands it as well. Like that's yeah, the thing. Like, yeah. he, like he he's he's so invested in it, but he he gets entirely the wrong <laughs> meaning from it. Like yeah. even when he does follow it, even when he can't, even when he can't. Like the point hide. the point isn't for him to get kind of the that part of the movie. It's it, it, the 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 revelations are are kind of like less about what they're planning, more about like other stuff they're talking about. As in, like the the whole idea of being half dead, like he the, he feels exposed by um, their conversation. Um, and and I mean, and again, you know, the, the idea of like signal and noise, and the idea that you have, like, the idea that you have all this information that's out there for people to process. And again, the idea of the internet. And again, the idea that we live in a world where people are just in flux with information constantly. But things like say we look now at things like Reddit and the way in which like Reddit, Reddit solves crimes now, but Reddit also solves crimes in ways that implicate innocent people because they've decided to fixate on particular narratives that they want. They've decided to put the emphasis on things in particular ways in a way that leads to a completely, a complete misunderstanding of the actual events in a way that causes actual physical harm. I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I kind of, that's the thing that I do find interesting about that misunderstanding. It's the idea that, even try like the idea that Harry can't not be involved. Harry has to be involved. But the irony that when Harry becomes involved, he causes arguably as much harm as good because he misunderstands. So like the, the question of like, even if from the start he had wanted to, could he have? Was he capable of making a difference had he chosen to? I, I, or was was he always like double screwed? Like was he always like was his it always a lie that he was never involved and even if he was involved, could he have stopped it? Yeah, he could have knocked on the door. <laughs> he could have just knocked on the door. He didn't even have to go to the police. He could have just knocked on the door of, of the hotel room and said, "I, uh, I'm mur." He, he. I mean, he would have gone in and and tried to save the girl, but at least, but even then, he would have removed removed at least one of the murderers from the room before they killed Robert Duvall. So. 
I do, I do love the idea of Robert Duvall opening the door and like Harry having to make an awkward excuse, like "What a coincidence!" <laughs> <laughs> and the bird cage ensues. I'm sorry. I think, yeah. I think the most obvious prescience of this um, film is the fact that, like, even if we weren't releasing this as a podcast, we would have listeners. Yes. Particularly because we are recording on Zoom. On yes. Zoom, yeah, exactly. Yes. They're like part, 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 part of the kind of sorry. No, I won't go off on one, or will I? <laughs> um, but then, yeah, like yeah. part, part of the kind of deal for like, um, say, like Apple, for example, operating and manufacturing in China, and having all of these kind of like um, Chinese consumers. Part of the deal is that um, you, you, you open up. Um, your your content to and your um, life, yeah. state surveillance. Well, not even state surveillance as well. I mean, like a private. No, yeah, but the, but but that 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 but that is part of of cost of doing business in China, say. But the, but that that um, Apple and Google and companies like this, um, say like Meta. <laughs> um, <laughs> to keep it hip and relevant and with the times. Yeah, they they um, that that is their business model. We are the uh, the product. Product, yeah. That's it. If you're if you're getting a service for free, you are the product. And the idea, like, and again, sorry, um, is surveillance is like like a core part of the global economy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And in the seventies, it's like a weird guy in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> and now Harry Cole is running a multi-million dollar industry, yeah. um, announcing yeah. the latest product launch. <laughs> but he pro- that, he's that's... probably he's probably more. Um, uh, Wozniak than Jobs. <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, he, he maybe has more social skills than, <laughs> than, than Mark some Zuckerberg. of these tech billionaires. <laughs> like, I could imagine having more of a conversation with him than with Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. And that that's that's the question. Like, have we... the? Uh, I remember reading something a couple of years ago, the idea that, like, our generation will be the last one with privacy, that accepts privacy as a concept, because no, so we... much of what we do now is we kind of give up this stuff willingly. We we sign away the terms and conditions. We accept the iPhone with the microphone that could always be recording. I have smart speakers in my house that could potentially be used to implicate anybody if a murder happens in here. The court could subpoena, like, records and audio recordings from it. Um, like, are we the... Is this the last... like? Today would Harry be Darren, that bothered? We've with cleaned everything, but you won't throw them out. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem. It's got nothing to do with your Google speaker. It's to do with you having like a sentimental attachment to these like bodily parts that you want to keep as trophies. <laughs> thank, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> um, all right, and fi- final, final, final question: Throw it to the group. Where is the bug in Harry's apartment, and is there a bug at all? So, Andrew, do you have a theory on where the bug is in the apartment? Um, there is no bug. The bug is in my mind. <laughs> Sean Connery, star of the Anderson tapes. Um, yeah. Dean, do you have, do you have a? Is the bug there, and where is it? It, it it's a uh, the Bernie early on early on when he was doing his demonstration, he says this is uh, a reverse ring like microphone setup where the phone doesn't ring. So the fact that Harry's phone rings, he picks it up, no one answers, he puts it down, and then he picks it up again when it rings a couple of minutes later. That was when he let himself get bugged. That was when he let himself get bugged with one of the ones that does make the phone ring <laughs> and it turns it into a receiver. The cheaper Morandum model, yeah. He's so 
bad at not being surveilled. <laughs> I I love, by the way, that he he keeps telling people he doesn't have a phone, but throughout the film, people keep ringing him on his phone. This <laughs> <laughs> is great. How did you get this number? It's like yeah. right. You, so um, <laughs> just like move. I wouldn't be that. surprised if he's in the phone book. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> how, how'd you get this number? It was on my your business card. Oh yeah, sorry, that's my bad. <laughs> they have my number and all these other numbers. In a giant book. But Kira, where do you think the book is? Uh, it's pen. <laughs> I love free pen. <laughs> free pen. Got a second one. Who turns down top. a pen? Nobody. A saxophone. Yes, it, it is. I, th- I think it's the saxophone. That's my theory. Because you see well. the saxophone, like when he's having the conversation with Stet, for some reason, again, it's one of those like 70s movies things where it's like, the director's like, sure, it's in the movie. Um, where a character is just walking behind him at the surveillance, like, conference carrying a saxophone like which i love it's just a random background detail as if to suggest like the latest bugging equipment isn't just microphones and telephones we've now got saxophones um so i kind of love the idea that his saxophone is actually what's been bugged um all right so anything anything else you want to say dean kira anything else you want to say about the conversation before we wrap up any parting thoughts uh nobody said the the john Cazal fact you know the one. You say it. Say, say, the, John say the fact. Back, then. Every film John Cazale appeared in was nominated for Best Picture. And also he appears in archive footage in The Godfather Part 3. And that was also nominated for Best Picture. Six films. Six films in his entire career and nominated for Best Picture for every single one of them. Incredible. Not nominated for Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor ever, though, which is a Travis and Travis you. Uh, or even like Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, he's phenomenal in that. Again, Sidney Lumet movie as well. Um, and again, tell them it's not two homosexuals in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> One homosexual. <laughs> um, and like I, I, the thing about yeah, Casal is is kind of amazing. Like again, that's life story that he had where he like he he lived with Meryl Streep and stuff like that, and he passed away of lung cancer at a very very young age yeah. as well. Um, that's why Meryl Streep has such a big part in in the deer hunter is uh she wanted to spend Kazal's last months with him so they wrote her into the film which is incredible um all right then um dean anything dean, to dean hasn't seen the deer hunter he doesn't know what i'm talking about <laughs> okay so yeah. dean thoughts on the deer hunter um but no <laughs> is there anything else it's... you want to say about the conversation or about Kazal. Uh, first, I want to say that that I coined the term Kazaliad to refer to that collection of films, <laughs> and I've checked. Nobody else said it first. It's mine. And the Deer Hunter is the only part of the Kazaliad I've yet to see, so I'm almost, I'm almost there. The for, as far as the conversation itself goes, uh, the two things I still don't know what I think about this, but I kept thinking about the fact that um, about how young um, Martin and the two subjects of the the recording are compared to most of the other characters, especially Hackman. And the, uh, there's something about this, like, like them as, like, the proto-yuppie scum who are going to come and, and destroy America in a few years. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're literally, like, the you know, the, the, the post-Watergate, um, like, what were they called? The Watergate babies or something yeah. like that? The, the, the generation of Democrats who came in after Watergate. Um... Watergate babies sounds like a great TV show. I would watch Watergate <laughs> babies. Hey, sorry, I was just going to, I was just going to say, except Harry Cole plays this uh, saxophone, like one of those dirty yuppies Clinton. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do, I do love the uh, the reading of the conversation as a movie that is of then like in Dean's through Dean's lens that this becomes a story about a generation 
that were traumatized and shocked and horrified by Vietnam, Watergate, recession, and the young yuppies who were willing to capitalize on the fact that nothing means anything anymore. Well, it's um, all, all the best of us uh, went off and died in Vietnam. and All, all the worst of us, like, um, you know... Murdered uh, our husbands, played by Robert Duvall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they found some way of getting out of it. Like, never went to Nam. Um, stayed in uh, America making money and killing people. Um, but sorry, sorry, Dean. No, just the, this isn't necessarily about the film itself, but when I was watching, during the conference scenes, I was thinking about this uh, great article from a couple of years ago called Border Profiteers that's in uh, The Baffler, which is a small lefty magazine, and it's uh, reporting from, like, a surveillance conference in 2019, specifically border security surveillance in Trump's America. And if you want to just see how much worse private surveillance industry has gotten since the conversation, read that article. It is one of the most horrifying things I've ever exposed myself to when I've seen a Serbian film. Worse so. or better? Ooh. And for <laughs> and for like not for moral value, to be clear. I mean, in terms yeah. of technique and craft. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um all right then so that about wraps it up then in terms of talking about the conversation uh what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something something they're enjoying at the moment so to give dean and kira a chance to think about it i'm gonna ask andrew to go first um, i'll recommend three things uh two books and one movie um and um the first one is the looking glass war uh by john carrey not um the movie there was a movie made of it. Um, I just didn't think it was very good. I think that the central performance um, wasn't great. And they got kind of like a, a, a bit of like a good looking kind of um, Beatles looking guy to, you know, bring in the punters. And he wasn't a very good actor. Um, but the book is great. It's, it's, not, it's not the best John le Carre, uh, book by, by, by a long stretch, but it's all about kind of like um, uh, trying to get a look at the Soviets and going to to great lengths um, and foolish lengths to try and uh, 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 photograph things based on kind of paranoia and hubris, I guess. And I'll also recommend a Permanent Record by uh, by Edward Snowden. That I read recently, which um, which is very satisfying, in terms of kind of explaining some of the like technical aspects of surveillance. I think I spoke before about how reading Catch Me If You Can was great because it 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 explains like how a lot of the kind of uh, scams that he used to do um, uh, worked, and there's something kind of satisfying about that. But in Permanent Record, obviously, it's the broader point about what is happening. And that uh, everybody kind of can be surveilled and is being surveilled. And that Edward Snowden had seen everybody's phone um, and knew that there, were, uh, there was porn there. And there was also um, kind of uh, like photos of your family. And, and, that the, the, and that those two things kind of like united everybody. He, he seemed to say. Would and you... porn of your family. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> no, I, I swear. The, 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 um, the, but the... As Andrew says, only in American porn sites. Um... Right, exactly. The, um, 
but no, I, 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 I just thought that was quite kind of like an interesting book and that it kind of spoke to what this movie is about, but also kind of like uh, more modern day. And the movie uh, that I think was actually quite inspired by this, that Darren has probably already guessed, is Das Leben der Anderen. 2006's uh, Florian Henkel von Donnersmarks, The Lives of Others, uh, which we haven't covered on um, the, the the podcast, but which was or is on the two. It's still on the list. It it's is still on the list. On the list. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I, after I watched the conversation, I described it as what if in the lives of others at the end, he just had to keep being a Stasi officer forever and also was like. Yeah. No, it, it's, it, it, and it, it's very um, life affirming, I guess, in a way that this isn't. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but similarly, kind of like the 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 pathos you get from it is is um, is is just as deep, um, even if it yeah. does kind of have a have a, have a happy ending. Um, a beautiful movie. I'd I'd I'd, I'd recommend it. Um and yeah, sorry. Just very quickly, I note that in in my notes here, I noted that the seventy the reaction to the conversation in the seventies. A lot of reviewers had Andrew's complaint there that this uh, doesn't have a happy ending, and it's 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 uh, the the observation I think that Vincent can be in the New York Times describing it as Harry isn't simply neurotic; he gives every indication of being psychotic, which lessens the impact <laughs> of the story Mister Coppola has written for him. Psychotics make unreliable heroes. No rules need apply to them. So I do love that, yeah, 70s yeah. film critics were it, kind of confused by these I, movies. I, I kind of agree with that and that it's a problem of the movie because, like, the way stories work is, generally speaking, like, well, that that that, that people, um, like, attempt to kind of, I don't know, grow or, or change. You could yeah. argue that he does. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, all right then. And- he drags himself kicking and screaming into trying to be a good <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not even really trying, kind of making the half effort, kind of making the bare minimum effort, like reaching for that low floor and then tearing it up dramatically. Well, his goal um, at the beginning is to kind of like remain half dead and never kind of amount to anything. And at uh, the end of the movie, he's accomplished becoming half alive and never amounting to anything. Um, Kira, what would you recommend for listeners? What are you enjoying at the moment, related or unrelated to the movie? Uh, Coppola-wise, I'd like to once again recommend One from the Heart, uh, which is just it's awesome. It's like, what if um, when they started making sound movies, they didn't forget how to like do things, and then time <laughs> passed until you get to the 80s, and now here's a movie from that universe. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Hackman-wise, I'd like to recommend the film uh, Scarecrow, which for some reason is completely forgotten, despite starring Gene Hackman and Al Pacino and being directed by Jerry Schatzberg and winning the Palme d'Or and being excellent. <laughs> um, but it's very good. The two of them are like traveling across America because Gene Hackman wants to set up a car wash. And... Uh, and Al Pacino wants to beat his son and they're like drifters and they're trying to like hitchhike on the same road and then they're like hey let's be good together or whatever and it's it's, it's 
great. They go to prison at one point. It's awesome. Um, I love how you picture uh, like a Road Two movie. It's like Cosby and Hope. Oh, uh, it Pacino absolutely is. It's like it's it. There's like you can draw draw like a straight line from like the Road Two movies to Scarecrow to Ishtar to Dumb and Dumber. That's a straight <laughs> line to cinema right there. Um, I'd also like to recommend, unrelatedly, uh, Toast in Tinseltown. Or Toast of Tinseltown. Where, uh, sorry, I don't know. If, uh, probably not elsewhere. Um, but anyways, it's done now. Uh, <laughs> which is, uh, you just can't is, take a Lord's name in vain. It's, it's, it's the Toast of London sequel series, or whatever, that just recently finished airing and uh, is great. And I'd like to recommend... Um, the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift for no reason at all. Uh, you don't need a reason. <laughs> and uh, and I'd like to recommend. This... I might watch that. I've never seen it. It's good. It's it's <laughs> like it's it's like a sports movie. You know, like there's a montage of him learning how to drift. It's great. It's... In Tokyo. Um, yeah. It's got everything. I did love how like um, car. What you call us? Like La Forza and. Um, like video games, uh, car racing video games is what I was trying to say. Um, <laughs> just started to introduce like after that movie how um, the importance of drifting, and that like your 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 bar would fill like the more that you drifted, and you get a little boost because you're drifting so much, and it's like it oh this car society. has lots of drift. People don't talk enough about how Tokyo Drift changed the world. Um, quietly influential also, film. Like Scarecrow it, and the conversation before it, massively <laughs> overlooked by its bigger siblings. Also, fair. Uh, also, it's set, like, I have no idea what year it's set, because it's set in the future to, like, so many subsequent Fast and Furious movies. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Like, at the end of Fast Five, a character who appears in Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Uh, Gal Gadot says to him, I thought you wanted to go to Tokyo. And he says, we'll get there eventually. And they do in the <laughs> in the post credit scene of like Fast and Furious 7 or 8. Oh, it's spoilers. Spoil oh, I'm not that far yet. You haven't. Oh, so sorry. I've only, I've only watched the first five. We thought you oh, were okay, doing sorry. reverse chronologically. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> I thought you were no. doing a Dean and working backwards. Um, <laughs> or doing it internal chronologically as well. Like that. that's the Fast and Furious watch you want to have. Sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to ruin it for you. I yeah, apologize. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, and I, I will note that I love that, like, the Toast of Tinseltown is about uh, Matt Berry getting a role in Star Wars. Yeah, Matt, right. <laughs> and Matt Berry got a role in Star Wars. I kind of love that. Uh, and I'd also, this is, I, I just because I listened to it earlier, I'd like to recommend uh, the song He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask by Alice Cooper from uh, Jason Lives, Friday the 13th, Part 6. Ooh. Uh, it's great. <laughs> Great song. Fe features uh, the line, uh, "You're deep in, <laughs> you're deep in love, but you're deeper in the woods." <laughs> What's the name of that song again? He's back, the man behind the mask. I hope Alice Cooper doesn't mind uh, Joe Rogan. <laughs> um, he's apologized. <laughs> sort of. Has he? Has he? Yeah, sort of. Maybe. Kind of. Excellent. Um, he's back. Dean. Dean, what would you recommend for listeners? What are you enjoying at the moment, related or unrelated? This is a completely random list because I think I've established my 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 deal now. This is, <laughs> this is a completely <laughs> random list of shite. But uh, the fourth 
season or second part of the second season. I don't understand what the, what the streaming services do. I'm now swearing. I'm sorry, okay. sorry. This uh, the the fourth season or second part of the second season of Disenchantment, the third Mac Groening show, just dropped. And look, the first season is still finding its feet, but that show is good, and it really annoys me that. That the, that the people don't just watch it just because it's a Mac Roney show, just out of just a sort of like, like, like I don't know, like loyalty to 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 the child in your heart or something. Just like watch it; it's so it's so fun. I please um, don't expect me to have loyalty to Mac Roney. That's no, not no. I, no the loyalty an, to the child to to your inner child, not to Mac Roney. <laughs> but is the implication that your inner child has loyalty to Mac Roney? <laughs> No, they're, they're, well, they're I can't understand the logic. Like the inner child is the on chain. the Lolita Express with Mac Groening. Sorry. Giving Mac Groening a foot massage. Okay. Um, um, am I going to have to cut that or is that. I don't know. Protected? There's okay. some dirt. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah, okay. Allegedly. <laughs> okay. Allegedly. Okay. Well, if listeners, listeners can. In Minecraft. No, if, I, I will say, listeners... I will say to Dean's point. Um, uh, okay. Well, I feel the need to add that if listeners just heard what Andrew said there and that wasn't a convenient edit break, you will find details in the show notes for legal purposes. <laughs> Sorry. <Andrew. laughs> well, I, I will, I will say like, um, Matt Groening kind of um, often uh, produces great shows kind of like um, to the like detriment of The Simpsons, you know. That, I'm really that, glad that's where you went with that. When you well, began yeah, with yeah, Matt no, Groening, it, really, like stuff, I was like, deep breath, am I going like to have to make another edit? Stuff like the Futurama, like where he kind of like st- steps off the yeah. gas with, with The Simpsons and starts making like really good shows. Kind of other, that, that would encourage me, I suppose, to watch Disenchanted. Whatever, whatever kind of allegations. Um. <laughs> okay. So, sorry, Dean. Outside of recommending the work of Matt Groening, um, what what else would you recommend? Apologies, that got um, out of hand. I'm sorry. Thank you, pardon. <laughs> um, I just started reading or rereading Kieran Carson's translation of the Tonbo Kulna, and that's that's the it's one of the best books I've ever read, and. Uh, if you if you've ever wanted to to not to 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 experience the true taun, not the weird, you know, when you're taught Irish myth in school, they always uh, they always uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Sanitize. They, uh, yeah, they sanitize it and they clean it up and make it a bit more conventional. There's a bit where like Cucullin's gone mad and he's like charging back towards the fort where he lives and he's got he's because he's gone mad he's going to kill everybody there and then to stop them they send all the women out and they just lift up their tops and show him his boobs and he t- stops because he can't look at their boobs and it's like it's like the fir- like a significant part of it feels like the pre- feels like the movie predator because <laughs> it's just a bunch of people being like are we being stalked by kukulin right now like what's that noise of the great book um uh, Aquaman is is in the town. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big twist. That's who they have to. It's like Aquaman versus Kukulin. It's a big like the yeah, the rights Aquaman, were very difficult to sort. With well, in in um, he also appears as the the salmon in the Finn McCool saga. <laughs> <laughs> they digitally reinserted Jason Momoa, my the, man. The Aquaman of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if if you if you miss when superhero movies were silly and fun, 
watch Aquaman. It's got an octopus playing drums. Voiced by <laughs> um, Julie Andrews, right? No, no, the cr- the kraken-like creature is voiced by Julie Andrews. Okay, <laughs> who voices the octopus? The it's he's just playing the drums. He's like the guitar guy in Fury Road. Okay. He doesn't. <laughs> I, I love, by the way, and, that um, Julie Andrews turned down Mary Poppins Returns to make Aquaman. Which I oh, adore. that's so that's such a good choice. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the last thing is because I found out they're playing Dublin next year, I've I've reignited my love for the extremely weird and prolific, long-lived uh, noise art avant-garde band, The Residents. And uh, yeah, listen to their first album, Meet the Residents. It opens with like a load of noise and a guy kind of drunkenly singing. Or trying to sing, these boots are made for walking. It's a, it's, it's a masterpiece. You, uh, you can do like a, like a Harry Call on it. You know, listen to it over and over, trying to decode. Meaning. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. These boots are made for walking. These boots are made for walking. <laughs> these these boots, boots are, are made. Hold it, Dolly. These closer. boots are made for walking. Yeah. Dolly is a microphone. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Maybe if you spent more time wondering what your boots were for, editing recordings rather than wondering what your boots were for, you'd have a better time. It's a lesson right. we're, we're, we're trying to impart here. Imparting. Nice. Um, all right, so Dean, is that it? Yeah. Uh, in terms of, of recommendations for myself, just one very By quick one. By the way, one. Dean, uh, great recommendations. <laughs> 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 not, not to say, like, is that it? <laughs> That all you got? The Tone Saga is, <laughs> is, is, is incredible. I love all like I, I like Kukulin and Ferdia stuff. Well, um, I should I should point out I actually started watching Smash actually. So yes, thank you very much for the recommendation last time you were on. Actually, um, oh, I good. apologize if I sounded like I was being dismissive. I was more just checking to make sure I wasn't tripping over you. Apologies. Sorry, no, 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 <laughs> not at all. Um, but uh, yeah. So what I would recommend is um, maybe tied to Darren's very particular reading of the movie that Andrew very strenuously rejects. <laughs> I'm not strenuous. I, you're, you're like you're entitled to have your wrong opinions. But what I what I will say, I rewatched recently and I quite enjoyed a movie that is also both of its time and arguably ahead of its time. A movie that captures the idea of social isolation. Um, the difficulty connecting with other human beings, the difficulty in striking up human relationships and trying to be a real-life person in this world. Jim Carrey and the Cable Guy um, is a masterpiece. Um, underappreciated. True. Massively underappreciated. And rewatching it now, it's... it's Amazing. Wonderful film. Very much a movie about a generation that literally grew up consuming pop culture and memes and finding ways to express themselves through that rather than say through human connection and the ben challenge Stiller's is very underrated director yeah still yeah. is fantastic and the, um, the, the world was unworthy of it the world well. wasn't ready for it yeah like that that's the thing watching it it's very much a, like a late it's very much a 90s movie in many respects in that obviously like you have the the, the sweet Men- trial Menendez. which is the yeah well you have or, like the alt rock soundtrack as well yeah the Yep, yeah, you got the OJ trial happening in the background. You have the alt rock soundtrack, which is very nineties. The fact that it's a Jim Carrey movie, um, yeah. and the fact that Jim Carrey <laughs> was able to like get this through the studio system by sheer virtue of wanting to do it. The fact that like Jim Carrey apparently took what was a regular buddy comedy and basically said, "I want to spoof the hand that rocks the cradle and Pacific Heights," and the studio were like, "Yeah," which is possibly the most nineties <laughs> like 
origin story of a movie ever. Jim Carrey wants to do an erotic thriller. Um, and it's like, yep, yeah, sure, we can make that happen. Um, all of that is very <laughs> 90s. But so much of the movie is about this idea of kind of mediation and relation through screens and the idea of people who can only communicate through shared pop culture references, uh, which feels very much like it resonates differently today than it did when the movie was originally released. So I would wholeheartedly recommend that. So, uh, Dean, where can we find you? Watch up to where you at online. Uh, on Twitter at Dean F. Buckley. Uh, and then the the website's the Sunday.net. Uh, sorry to steal some of the script from Kira. Uh, <laughs> that's our website and our podcast is the Sunday presents available on like eight to nine platforms. Now I think <laughs> the usual ones, you know, uh, <laughs> the good ones. Uh, and Kira, um, where can we find you? Watch out. Watch up to. Um, uh, sim- sim- similar. Um, the Sunday spell with an E, uh, just in case, you know, you know, you know. Uh, I'm on Twitter at underscore Kira Maloney, uh, Maloney with an O, and um, <laughs> and and you know, and I and I write stuff all all over the place, and you know, you'll you'll you know. It'll be on my Twitter, probably, if I remember to, to tweet links to things. Can people give you, like, five-star <laughs> five reviews as well? We should tell people what to say in the reviews. Smash that like button. <laughs> exactly. And subscribe. And, I, 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 yeah. I don't know if there's a... I don't know if those buttons exist. And and I feel em. like I feel like smashing them is kind of rude because it means you can't really use the button again. Oh, like, uh, that's <laughs> true. It feels like if you like this, it's very definitive. I mean, I feel like you can like multiple things. That's just press, me. Press the button very gently. Gently caress the button. Um, well, don't don't make, don't make it weird because other people have to use the button. It you know. It always feels redundant asking people to subscribe because we feel like if, if if they weren't subscribed, how would they be listening? But people do look up things, and they and and they don't. There, there, there. No, but there, there, there are certain apps as well which will just play like a kind of a related podcast afterwards. Um, I do love Andrew's theory that they've listened to two and a half hours of this, and then like, <laughs> what the hell is this? Uh, this podcast about Martin Scorsese's The Conversation is brilliant. How have I never heard of this movie? Oh, I, I, it's weird. Pe- people will look up The Conversation on a podcast app and find like all the episodes of any podcast I feel like that I've ever discussed. A lot the of people are going to search The Conversation on a podcast app or see this episode on their podcast app and be like, this is a conversation, <laughs> like all podcasts. Yeah. It's kind of arrogant for them to assume the definitive article, I think, really. <laughs> All right. Uh, the we'll podcast back... event. The conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we need Sylvester Stallone to come in and give us kind of lines, you know, like, <laughs> Andrew, Worthy Quinn, that sort of thing. Darren, yeah. Lunar Mooney. I don't know. We'll come up with some stuff. We'll, we'll make it work. Darren, Full Mooney, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to work on that. We're going to spitball those. Uh, but you can join us next week when we'll be wrapping up our coverage of Francis Ford Coppola. We'll be taking a look at the last film that he made in his phenomenal 70s run. We'll be covering Apocalypse Now. The wonderful Brian Lloyd, the sensational Alex Towers will be joining us for that discussion. Take care, guys. See you next week. Thank you so much to Dean. Thank you to Kira. Thank you for subbing in at the last minute. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. it Thank it, you so thanks much. Thanks for having guys. us on. Thanks for having us. Yeah.